The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'ma chill and let them have it, cause this is just an intro. Keeping the strong style, six stars from the get go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style with your host, Jeremy Donovan, and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith and Rich Grach from Voices of Wrestling. On today's show, we'll be announcing the winners of our year-end awards, answering your questions, and covering all of this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all our podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea Store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. And this week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. And like you heard in our intro, we are joined by a very special guest today, the captain, Rich Kreich from the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast, VoicesOfWrestling.com. Rich, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, doing well. It's a hell of an intro, you guys. That Rich, Rich does. I, I've heard that one before, but man, when 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 I'm on it, it's like, man, that's a, that's a lot to. That's a, that's a good get, Rich. You know, I know he's on your network, but that's a, that's a hell of an intro, man. It gets you pumped up, man. I know it's like, man, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to run through a wall. Talk to me. There's been like two times where I've been like, you know what? Let's change it up. Let me read it. And then uh, I try, I, I like think I can get through it. And I'm like, oh, this is a lot harder <laughs> than I think it like sounds like it would be. Uh, but Jeremy kills it every week. Absolutely does. Yeah, that's a great, great operation you guys have here. Uh, we're really happy to do uh, be on here. And, and I wish we had done it a little bit sooner. I know, obviously, we had been talking back and forth uh, for God, it feels like months now trying to figure out a time and a place to make this happen. So I'm glad we could finally uh, uh, get on here. And I think it's going to be a real fun topic here today talking about the uh, little bit of year in review uh, of New Japan for wrestling. Yeah, and yeah I, we're, I know oh, you, and you're very busy, Rich. You, you watch more wrestling than I do, which I didn't think was possible at one time. But you, you guys literally I'm watch. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot, though. So don't, do not aspire to be what I am. It is, it is not what you want to do. And then there's people that watch, like, way more than I do, too. And I'm like, what do you do? Like, how do, like literally from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you must be watching wrestling. Because I feel like I try to pack it in as much as humanly possible. And I still watch, like, a, a fraction of what some other people do. So. Yeah, we uh, we appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on the show and uh, spending some time with us. We're, you know, excited. But, you know, I, I just wanted to say... Uh, for the few times that we have met in person, you know, you guys over at Voices of Wrestling have always been gracious, including us at like, you know, meet, meet and greets and fan meetups and, you know, just hanging out, watching shows. So it's always been cool that you guys have kind of uh, 
you know, done that with us. And, uh, you know, we're glad to have you. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, to hopefully be able to do it again sometime <laughs> soon when, you know, back in the old days, we used to go to wrestling shows and go places and, and leave, you know, our houses and stuff. So uh, when that eventually happens again, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to uh, meet up with you guys again and, and hopefully uh, hopefully in, in, in much better times. And yeah, maybe it'll be a New Japan show. Maybe it'll be a WrestleMania weekend, but uh, we'll, we'll do it again sometime soon uh, for sure. Definitely. So before we jump into our awards, uh, every time we have a new guest on with us, I kind of get a little background on their New Japan, uh, kind of their journey into New Japan and you know how it got started. So how did you get started watching New Japan? So I, I, I think I was always kind of like somewhat aware of New Japan Pro Wrestling in my early days of, of watching wrestling. And I became like a real hardcore wrestling fan. I'd say about 1997. Um, and I'm 33 right now. So um, I, that's the age that like obviously a lot of people started, especially in that time period, really, really got into wrestling. So it was like 1997 that I got way into, you know, WWF and WCW and stuff. And I was always some, you know, pretty early on a little bit aware of New Japan for wrestling, mostly because I was like addicted to like wrestling magazines at that time too. And, 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 you know, WWF magazine and, and, uh, you know, WCW magazine. And then of course, Pro Wrestling Illustrated and, and, and the other, you know, 20 different wrestling magazines, uh, there were at that time. So I was always aware of New Japan for wrestling, but I don't know that I ever really watched much other than maybe like a match or two. If I like, you know, in the early days of downloading stuff on uh, online and your kazaz and your, you know, yeah. your random, very weird, like this might be a virus that destroys my computer <laughs> or it's the match that I want it to be. We'll find out when I click play and okay, it's a virus. Great. Uh, yeah. You never knew it was, it was the wild, wild west. So it's usually uh, a little of both. You, you yeah. Still get yeah. The match, but you also get the virus with it, right? which is, you know, not the, you know, a decent trade off depending on what the match was, but uh, yeah, and you had to make sure it was a really good match. Cause you're like, this could destroy my computer. So this better be damn, better be goddamn worth my time. But uh, no, I was always like kind of aware of guys. Like obviously, Jushin Thunder Liger is somebody who, uh, from the moment you see him in a wrestling magazine or whatever, you're like, what is that? And who is that? And where does he wrestle? And all that sort of stuff. But I never really became like a, what I would say, like a true New Japan fan uh, until about 2010, 2011. And, and the big reason why is uh, my co-host, Voice of Wrestling uh, flagship co-host, Joe Lanza. Uh, he'd been bothering me for years to watch New Japan. He's like, come on, watch it, watch it, watch it. And all I was one of those fans that just bitched about WWF instead or WWE instead and just said, ah, this is, you know, this sucks. This is garbage. Or, you know. <laughs> and he's like, well, here, just watch this. Like, I'm telling you. It's good. And I'm like, all right, fine. Like, you know, like most, like most of us have to be convinced for some reason that like instead of just watching stuff that you hate, watch stuff that you might enjoy. And and that's uh, the match that I remember that that finally hooked me was uh, Kojima and Hiroshi Tanahashi from yes. uh, WrestleMania 5. <laughs> 5, do I have the number right? Yeah, I believe I it's five. Right. 5. Yeah, okay. And he's like, here, watch this. If you don't like it, I won't bother you ever again. And then I was like, oh, that was great. I want more of that. And then for pretty much from that point forward, uh, I've been pretty much addicted uh, and and watching almost every major show and, and, and you know, covering and talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling for, for all that time since then. Awesome. Yeah, it's Wrestle Kingdom 5. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I forget if it was six or, or five, so that's perfect. Yeah, cool. So, who's your uh, favorite New Japan wrestler? Maybe even of all time, or, or currently, or, or both. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's my answer is probably the same for both. It's it's going to be Kazuchika Okada is I think my favorite. Um, I it, it helps that like when I became like a real big New Japan fan is like during his rise so yeah. they kind of see the beginning and see it kind of come to fruition and be like hey this guy i like this guy this guy's cool and and you know it's, it was a divisive opinion at that time when, when you know that new beginning where he beats tanahashi it's like who the hell is this guy no way and i was like no i like this guy i think it's gonna work it's gonna be that was like a hot <laughs> take at the time and and then like obviously in a year's time it, it was clear that he, he was you know gonna be a star and gonna be great but uh that was always a lot of fun to kind of follow that entire path and 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 that's a big reason why i think i i, I do 
um, consider him at least my favorite now. And I think, you know, favorite of, of all time is because I was able to see the entire life cycle of him. I was see, able to see him come back, able to see him win the title, see him go through all these big man events. And he's also pretty goddamn incredible. So it's like, I don't really have to, you know, sell that. Hey, I like Okada because Okada's great and fantastic. But uh, yeah, he's always hit me on, on a certain level that uh, very few wrestlers in my entire life ever have. See, what's funny is like, uh, I like Okada a lot, but I'm so in love with Tanahashi that, like, I just assumed right when you were starting, I was like, "Oh, he's gonna say Tanahashi, of course." I mean, it can't be any, can't be anybody else. <laughs> I, I, man, I love Tanahashi. Yeah, it's 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 definitely a close battle there. But yeah, for some reason, it was always Okada just kind of got me. And and I, I think again, like, if I had seen Tanahashi through like his early days, because I'm I'm always one of the big things that I'm into in in, in wrestling, and even today, you know, with, with Young Lions and stuff is seeing the progression of wrestlers and seeing them come in and immediately just having to be like, Hey, I think this guy's going to be good. Or I think this guy's going to suck or whatever. And then kind of sticking with that. You know what I mean? Like you got your guy and you're like that, you know, like you, the first time I saw him, I was like, that dude's going to be great. And now I have to like, like no matter what happens over the next 10 years, I have to be like, no, that guy's good. That guy's going to be good. Like the same thing happened with yo, like uh, Joe and I would argue about yo and Joe for years and years and years. And I was like, yo is going to be the better guy. I may have (laughs) lost that argument, but I haven't lost it yet. So I'm going to let, that go for a little bit there, there's still time not good for yeah this year i may have maybe lost a little ground uh this year between the, the yo and show uh argument there but again like it's you know so getting it on the ground floor for okada really i think helped me build that sort of relationship with him that, that that's still you know I, I i'm still feeling today well just so you guys know we're firmly in the oka camp with you guys so you got support good. you're smart <laughs> you're, you're smart guys so that's why you get it so yeah so uh last but not least your favorite new japan uh, pro wrestling match yeah so this one took me a little bit of time to kind of think of okay is it definitely this match and and i tried to think of a few other ones when, when you guys sent me those notes and it was like nah dude th- this is it. It, it 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 nothing has beaten it nothing i don't think has really even come close uh it's the invasion attack match between uh, tanahashi and okada from uh 2013 uh, uh april april 7th 2013 i think is the uh, exact date there i mean that is just like just at pro wrestling excellence and anybody listen to this that has not seen that match uh, in full or hasn't watched it recently go I mean it holds up so well even though I like I can't reading that again I cannot believe it's 2013 that match was I feel incredibly old now that that match was that long ago but uh yeah just uh just processing excellence Tanahashi at the top of his game Okada is top of his game it's got it's got arm you know limb selling if that's your thing it's got hot action it's got kick it just has everything you could possibly want in a wrestling match and and, and doesn't get too long uh, yeah, so that's yeah, that that one is just like I, I always go back to that match if I'm ever just like I want to like wrestling again. Like, wait, why do I like this wrestling? <laughs> stuff? Like, you know, why do I waste my time with this garbage? And then I watch that match. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why, because this is just like the best uh, thing I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely that invasion attack match. Jeremy, let's make that the recommended match of the week this week for ourselves. All right. That sounds good to me. Yeah, we we do a little variation on uh, Joe and Rich recommend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We do we do a weekly recommendation, and uh, so yeah, we'll just use that one this week, and uh, we'll, oh, yeah. we'll give, yeah. we'll give our reports next week. <laughs> I'll do the same. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely watch it again <laughs> this week as well. May as well. Yeah, it is. I, I'm trying to remember the last time I maybe uh, about a year or so ago. I think I watched it. So yeah, I'll, I'll do it again as well. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to watching. I have watched it before, but yeah, definitely looking forward to watching that again. I mean, you can't go it. wrong with um, Okada Tanahashi. No, yeah, yeah. Pretty much anytime you say, okay, you can just watch them all, and, and they all are pretty goddamn great. So Nice. Well, now we're going to uh, jump in and talk about the Keeping a Strong Style Year End Awards, our fourth annual Year End Awards. We're going to go over all the categories, announce the winners that you listeners uh, voted in, just have a little general discussion on the winners. Uh, I think there were some upsets. There, I think, a few surprises. 
Um, some they're just like dead giveaways. On, on the air discussion meeting, do you want to just host and announce everything, or you want to go back and forth? How you want to do this? Uh, it's up to you. What do you want to do? You know what? I will just. I'll prefer you this year. You know, you go ahead and uh, host it. I'll just give you my insights. All right. So uh, let's start with uh, wrestler of the year. So this oh baby, <laughs> very tight race here. So uh, coming in in third place with three hundred and thirteen points, we have the G one winner, the Golden Star Kota Ibushi, coming in second with three hundred and forty six points. The Dragon Shingo Takagi. And then coming in first in the Keeping a Strong Style 2020 Wrestler of the Year with 370, 376 points, the current double champion, Tetsuya Naito. So, Rich, what do you think? Naito, Wrestler of the Year. Yeah, I, I'm not totally surprised uh, uh, about that. I think, like, he's a pretty easy pick, both from, like, you know, in-ring uh, for the first, uh, definitely the first half of the year. I mean, the in-ring was, was pretty incredible. I mean, back-to-back nights of just, like, you know, tremendous matches in Wrestle Kingdom, uh, some pretty good matches earlier in, in the year as well. And then, you know, I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. I have some issues with, you know, some stuff that he did later in the year, not necessarily because of him, but <laughs> because of uh, <laughs> other people that he was uh, uh, facing, other, you know, former lij members that he was facing in, in boring main events but um no i think he's he's a pretty good pick and then if you also want to come at it from like a, a business standpoint and an important standpoint i mean that first half of the year even though it does feel like you know it was 40 months ago at this point the uh <laughs> yeah i mean that was pretty important i mean two two you know back-to-back nights in the tokyo dome with pretty damn good crowds wins the double title I mean, that was a huge, huge moment and, and, and goes back and then, you know, obviously has the match with Kenta in February. And then if you even want to include Shingo's, you, you know, or Jingu Stadium later uh, in the year as well. I mean, there's a lot of uh, meat on the bones there for, for Naito. So uh, I have no real issues uh, with, with Naito being the guy. I, I, my more interesting thing is I, I think of who uh, who finished uh, second with Shingo. I think that's actually a little bit more surprising, but I, I don't want to jump hmm. ahead. So. Yeah, I, I guess with me, um, I've always felt like the we've never set parameters on this ward and said oh it needs to be like the rick flair you know all around mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of thing we've we've never said it's just strictly the in-ring work but i've always kind of assumed based off of what we've seen uh the voters kind of go with in the past that a lot of it was based almost primarily on the the body of work um and that's not to say naito was a slouch in in ring at all this year i mean he had some pretty fantastic matches you mentioned a couple there rich and then obviously you know his g1 especially the first night with tanahashi uh you know i can kind of call back to that um i guess what i was surprised about was some of the other really strong in-ring workers that were on this list like suzuki ishii uh you know tanahashi ibushi they didn't really register um now i will say this uh this point variance we have between Shingo and Naito, 30 points, it's the tightest race we've ever had wow. um, for wrestler of the year. But Naito was in the lead firmly the entire voting period. Like he never really, I mean, I think there was one day Shingo barely got past him and then Naito just took off. So like we've kind of known the entire like time that Naito is like running away with this thing. And I think Shingo got like a last minute, you know, spree of, of votes but it wasn't enough to put him over the top really yeah you know one thing on this show we, we've had over the last couple of years you know we had the lij fans especially during the beginning we started in 2017 and you know they were clamoring for naito to win the title they would always ask us every week 
When is Naito gonna t- win the title? Why does <laughs> yeah. why does Gato hate Naito? We get these questions every week with the LI- diehard LIJ fans wanting Naito to get that moment to beat Okada in the dome. You know, Wrestle Kingdom twelve, they they were in a frenzy when Okada won and retained. Um, and so now they're finally having the year, and I think you know Naito is a very popular guy. I think sometimes we underestimate how popular he is, even with the Western fan base. And I think what we saw here, you know, he finally won the double titles at at Wrestle Kingdom. He finally beat Okada. He beat JY, and then kind of going on, like you mentioned, business wise at Osaka, New Beginning Osaka with Kenta, uh, sold out house there. Uh, I don't think yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that match, but still, still a big moment. Got comeuppance on Kenta for ruining his dome celebration. Um, and then you just look for the rest of the year. Even even with a you know not so great rivalry with Evil that produced you know four stinkers, it's like I, I see why people are so you know Naito's their guy, and so I can understand from a, a star perspective, from business perspective, why a lot of people would have uh, voted Naito over say Tomohiro Ishii, who's literally the top in ring performer of the year, or somebody like Shingo, who's been on the same level as Ishii. And it's not even just that. When you, when you mentioned like the four match series with Evil, um, sure that wasn't necessarily you know it, it wasn't like critically acclaimed or anything. But in terms of like importance and spotlight, it was the primary feud of the entire year. You know, right. al- almost yeah. all the eyes were on it. So I also think that kind of resonates with people, especially like you mentioned, Lij fans. Um, they've been clamoring for there to be like you know, a break. Now I know like the storytelling element of this wasn't really maybe our cup of tea, but there is the element. It's like his first Perea, you know, um, he broke off from him. People kind of wanted him to get his revenge and you know, whether you like the matches or not, like Rich mentioned, it did pay off at Jingu stadium with the fireworks and the big moment and everything. So I think that those big moments are kind of what maybe resonated with, you know, a majority of the fan base probably. And I think, you know, it, it, what, what I see in this is it reminds me a lot of like, you know, the NBA MVP doesn't always go to the, the best player in the league or, you know, any any sports MVP a lot, a lot, pretty often doesn't, you know, it, sometimes it does. Sometimes it aligns with it. But a lot of times it goes to the guy who's like the story of the year. And and I think that's it, it definitely was Naito's year. I mean, he was front and center in most of the major stories. He starts the year, you know, winning the double titles. You know, he finishes the year in, 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 a, in a big time feud with, you know, with evil and he or, or you know, has a big time feud with evil in the middle of the year, has a feud with Kenta in the, in the early part of the year as well, and then finishes it off as obviously still being in the mix for the for the title and the stuff with the Bushi and the stuff with Jay White. So it's like, yeah, it, it you know whether you know you think he's the best in ring wrestler or whatever. If you it, it, depending on your interpretation of the award, and I, I'd say from your guys, it's actually cool that you don't give like this is what the award means because I, I love the idea of awards being interpreted by the okay. How do you sort of interpret wrestler of the year? Like a lot of people come at it from a lot of different ways, and that's why you'll get really interesting. Uh, results like you guys have here, but uh, yeah, I think if you're telling the story of the year, he's telling the story of New Japan in 2020. Naito's kind of that MVP or that guy, that that wrestler of the year. So I, I have really no issue with him there. Yeah, I think as we go through the rest of the categories, we'll, we'll see that. Yeah, this was Naito's year. So I mean, it sounds like for for you, Rich, if you were to have uh, you know given this award out, Naito's probably who you would have gone with. I think so. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I've had discussions with people about like you know wrestler, you know, kind of the flair Thaz style, like you know, wrestling observer, you know, wrestler of the year, and then also like the most outstanding to me, the most outstanding wrestler of of, of New Japan this year 
is Shingo Takagi. Like I think, mm. you know, his, his in-ring I thought was just, you know, second to none. Uh, and, and he had so many more chances as well. I mean, when you look at the amount of singles matches that he had uh, compared to other top guys in the company, like he was just, he was always out there in singles matches. He was in every single tournament, a lot like, you know, Will Ospreay uh, last year, who, you know, if you participate in every right. single one of the tournaments, like you'll have a really <laughs> good chance of getting a lot of really good matches. And that's kind of what happened uh, with Shingo. So if I'm basing it purely on work, it would probably be Shingo. But if I kind of, you know, encapsulate a lot of different stuff and, and really tell the story of the year, uh, then yeah, I, I would have gone with Naito as well. And that, and that is how I interpret the word as well as like, you know, who, if you're, if you want to say who, who best represented or who was the best of, of New Japan for wrestling in 2020, it, it, it's Naito for sure. What about for you, Jeremy? So I voted for Tomohiro Ishii. Um, I just thought, once again, Ishii just had another incredible year. And we, we've talked about it on the show before. He's one of these guys that, whether it's a singles, a tag, six-man, ten-man tag, you know, any kind of matchup, like, you could always count on Ishii to go out there and have a banger. And you just look at the year he's had, you know, the, the Never title matches with Shingo, his performances in New Japan Cup, that match of Hiromu was awesome. Um, and then even, like, some of the Never six-man stuff that he's doing with Yoshihashi and Goto, like, they've brought some life to that Never division and having, you know, some great matches in, in that division. Another great G1 had that outstanding, um, you know, kind of closing moment there with Jay White and uh, beat beat Jay in that big main event to knock Jay out of the tournament, and I just felt like Ishii once again just had another great year, and he's going to end up you know stuck in probably a gauntlet match at, <laughs> at the dome. Uh, but yeah, for, and Shingo was right. Shingo, Shingo, I put second, but yeah, those those two guys were just killing it in ring this year. Yeah, I I, I agree with both of you guys. I think I would have gone with Tomohiro Ishii, but that's because I sort of do emphasize just the overall in-ring work but um you know normally we have someone that i think is a clear runaway you know winner because they've kind of dominated in all areas and this year i didn't think we had that we had i feel like candidates who were strong in different areas and so it kind of opened up the field and i think that's why we saw this uh you know pretty close you know point total between the first and second place here but um you know i i it, that that tweet that came out recently showed all the cage match rings and like out of the top 300 matches, Ishii had 17 of them. So I was like, man, you know, that to me, that would have been enough maybe to put him over. But like, it also shows us that we don't always have our finger on, on the pulse of what maybe the general fan, you know, fan uh, population, you know, is sort of thinking, which is kind of why we do these awards. Cause we want to, Make it so it's not just me and Jeremy like handing it over to <laughs> to Ishii, <laughs> but but sort of just uh, you know letting the fans speak and letting uh, you know the population you know be heard. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this one. Tetsuya Naito is your 2020 keeping a strong style wrestler of the year. So now we'll move on to match of the year. Come in third place with 224 points. We had Will Ospreay versus Hiromu Takahashi for Muscle Kingdom 14. Coming in second place with 434 points, we had Kazuchika Okada versus Kota Ibushi from Muscle Kingdom 14. And then our first place winner, 501 point. The winner and the Keeping a Strong Strong 2020 match of the year, Kazuchika Okada versus Tsuya Naito from Wrestle Kingdom 14, night two. Very, very, very interesting results here. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's pretty. it was pretty predictable the way the year went that these three matches would end up being, you know, the ones that were in contention being the fact that they were, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom, which were 
critically acclaimed shows and you know this is pre-covid so you know we still had like full reactionary crowds and everything like that it was you know a, a packed out tokyo dome um i think what it really came down to was did you think that the in-ring action of okada and Ibushi, you know for a lot of people they're saying this like one of the greatest matches they ever saw or was it the overall story and moment of Okada Naito, which in its own right was also a fantastic match. And I think probably deserving of match of the year. Um, But for a lot of people, they said it wasn't quite as, you know, quite as high or like up to the exact same level of say like Okada Bushi. So it's going to be interesting how that one played out and pretty close point uh, variants here as well. But it looks like, you know, more people preferred, the story of Naito kind of triumphing, you know, coming back after those two previous Wrestle Kingdom losses to Okada and uh, finally winning the big one, you know? Yeah. What do you think, Rich? Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what uh, Josh said there. Um, to me, like, it, it, it's really tough. It's really, really close. And, and you know, your, your voting kind of reflected that as well with, to me, Okada and Ibushi, I liked better as a wrestling match, like a pure, like, bell-to-bell wrestling match. Uh, Okada and Ibushi was, was probably my favorite you know, actual like legit in ring, you know, wrestling match of the year. But there's a lot that went into Okada and Naito. And it's like one of these weird ones that like, you know, when I, I do want to watch both of them before I do my official like match of the year votes. And then we do our voice of wrestling match of the year uh, coming up here in, in, in January. And I'm really between those two because I really, really think that, you, you know, o- Okada and Ibushi, and I'm glad to see the voting, you know, your, your voting pool put it as high as it did, because I think that's a match that, that and again, I have no idea how it's going to go. I don't know. Uh, how our match of the year is going to go, but I can really see that match maybe being out of the top 10, maybe not getting as many votes, mostly because people just remember Okada and Naito. They just remember, you know, these, uh, and, and that, because obviously it, it's an incredible match, but then the next day there was like an equally incredible to maybe more, you know, more people, you know, more incredible, more, you know, kind of impactful match uh, that happened the very next day. So it's, it, it, it's tough to judge that one, but to me, it, it's really hard. It, it is really hard to decide which of these two. And, and, and I see that your voters kind of had the same thing too, because Okada and Naito, it has it's i mean it's got symbolism it's got an important moment it's and it's again we we say all that and it was also a really really good wrestling match as well like an incredible uh, incredible wrestling match i think i like okada and abushi a little bit better but i, I i'm kind of right now going to be a coward and say i don't know which one <laughs> i'm eventually going to vote for because i really do want to watch both of them uh in, in context and, and and watch them you know in in december as well and just say okay cool knowing everything that i know and knowing how the year went or whatever how do these still kind of hold up for me but in the moment i like okada and abushi a little bit more uh, but I'm very curious to go back and, and, and rewatch both of those. And I really think your top three is exactly the top three that I would have for New Japan this year as well. I think it's 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 no question. And it's helped out a lot, a lot, obviously, by, you know, those are crowds. And, and man, going back and watching crowd wrestling, it's like, you know, it's a lot. You're like, oh, man, this is what wrestling, this is how it's supposed to be. Like, the people are making noise and things are happening. So, uh, yeah, I think those really are kind of head and shoulders uh, above anything else that happened in the rest of the year because the rest of the year was always kind of trying to catch up with, you know, having crowds and, and, and the clap crowds and stuff. And it really does take away from, from, from New Japan for wrestling in particular. It's, it's not quite the same thing, but it sort of reminds me of like in 1991, if you're looking at WWF, there maybe like two of their top matches. You've got Perfect and uh, Hart from SummerSlam, but then you've got Warrior and Savage from WrestleMania. And it's like probably the better in-ring match is the SummerSlam match. But sure. yeah, so yeah. many people are like, so engrossed with the story and so engrossed with the moment and the implications and, and the build and the fallout and everything that kind of surrounds that retirement match. Um, I think that there's a lot of parallels between that situation and this one as well. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great comp. Yeah. Cause it, it is like, you know, 
on its face, the heart and perfect match is just like a tremendously better kind of pro, you know, nerdy kind of pro wrestling, you know, ring yeah. work type <laughs> match or whatever. And, but I mean, it, and, and yeah, it stands out as like an incredible, incredible match. But then, yeah, there's so much emotion and so much going in uh, to that warrior and, 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 and savage ones. So that's a perfect comp to me. Yeah. It's definitely maybe what you value in wrestling. And, 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 you know, with that said, both of those matches were really good. And both of these matches were really good. as well. I, I really honestly don't think you can go wrong with either of these two uh, as your matches of the year. You know, some other ones that I might take a little bit of, of issue with if, if people did you know say oh it, you know my favorite match was you know you know when I when I evil and Naito from Shingo I'm like yeah I don't know about that like I'm not quite sure but it looks like you know looking at your top your, your guys voting pool uh looks like people pretty much nailed uh, what I would consider the top top tier matches of the year yeah not Jeremy to, what are your thoughts there yeah not surprised that these three matches finished um pretty much all the reasons you guys mentioned yeah these were you know three of the best in-ring matches in the year perfect condition big stage you know hot crowd um, the uh, both Okada matches, I both gave five stars to both of those matches. So honestly, honestly, it was a toss up for me. Either one could have win. Uh, I did go with Okada Bushi first, just because from an in ring standpoint, like you guys mentioned, I just thought that was uh, it's a little bit better as far as the in ring standpoint. But then when you look at Okada Naito, like I was mentioning earlier, when you, you go back to Wrestle Kingdom twelve and Naito failing to beat Okada there. And then this whole kind of journey and odyssey of him trying to get the title back, trying to finally beat Okada at the Dome. It was just such a big kind of culmination on that night and Naito finally doing it. So it's definitely a very emotional, more story-filled there and probably one of the best performances Naito had this year. And so, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong going with either one of those matches. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to the next of what we like to call the big three. So uh, let's talk about the show of the year. So show of the year coming in third place with a hundred and eighty three points. G one climax thirty night thirteen. Coming in second place with five hundred and sixty four points. Russell Kingdom fourteen night one. And then your first place with five hundred and eighty three points are keeping a strong style twenty twenty show of the year. Russell Kingdom fourteen night two. I'll throw it to you guys here. Go ahead, Rich. All right, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, you know, I was kind of talking about this on, on another show, uh, you know, this weekend as well. And and to me, I like Wrestle Kingdom Night One a little bit better uh, because to me, it, it just had that that string of you know final three matches. That I mean, you got Hiromu and, and, and Will, and I really I, I like Jay White and, and 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 Naito a lot as well. So I think that helps. I, I think that is probably a big determining factor of whether you know you vote Night One or Night Two. But I like that match a lot. Um, so, you know, you got those two matches in a row and then it concludes with, again, a match that I'm really, really considering, you know, voting my match of the year, uh, in Okada and Ibushi. So I thought that run that, you know, and, and really honestly, that night one had the, uh, the Archer Moxley match, which I really, uh, enjoyed as well. So that, you know, four match run is, is, is pretty tough to, to, to mess with. Uh, so I would vote night one as my match of the year, but I absolutely, absolutely understand why your voters, uh, voted night two. Night two definitely stands on its own in terms of having great matches, and then it culminates in obviously that incredible moment of of you know night two winning the titles, and then another incredible moment too of Kenta coming out and 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 you know beating him up and and that sort of stuff. So uh, there was just a lot of emotion and a lot of really cool stuff that happened on night two. So I really don't think you can go wrong with either one of these, but I am definitely going uh, with with night one as, as as my favorite of the year. Yeah, absolutely agree with you, Rich. I also went with night one for my show of the year. Let's keep mentioning you had that incredible main event with Okada and Ibushi. Uh, you have the Hiromu Osprey matchup. You have the first Liger uh, retirement matchup, and 
yeah, overall, I think from top to bottom, it was just a very solid card. Like, you couldn't go wrong with that card. But I definitely understand why, uh, you know, night two might have edged it out from night one for some people. Um, you know, you had the Jericho Tanahashi match. You had Liger's last match, uh, him teaming with Sano to take on Hiromu and Ryu Lee. And then also the, the big kind of moment at the end with um, Naito beating Okada. I think definitely night two probably is etched in more people's memories because of the big title win, like you mentioned, the, the Kenta angle and Kenta ruining that moment and just, you know, just leaving us like, you know, what's, what's happening next kind of moment there. Yeah, I, I agree with both you guys. You know, for me, I slightly preferred uh, night one, but, you know, it's really splitting hairs between the two shows because they're both really great. Um, I think the fact that they got the big payoff to the multi-year long story between Naito and Okada probably, you know, makes a huge difference as to why that night might've won. Um, the other thing too, I think that that show has going for it is like, there's like seven title matches. There's a lot more singles matches. It is the better on paper card. Um, as opposed to like, you've got a lot of multi-man matches, a lot of tag team matches on the first night where I think the first night excels is that it just peaked higher with some of those top top end singles matches. Not to say that the second night wasn't good. They're just uh there were a couple matches that I thought could have been better. Maybe I think also the the fatigue of going to the shows back to back. I I think we talked about this last year was that to me it felt like the uh the crowd was generally a little bit more quiet on the second night. Except for obviously the main event, but until that main event, it felt like the people were a little bit worn out, uh, which is to be expected when you've got you know <laughs> two big Tokyo Dome matches like or our shows like this back to back. But um, both shows were awesome. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to say before we move on: very often those G1 nights are usually incredible, but because there's so many of them that are incredible and so many of them get nominated, they kind of usually just kind of get left out in the cold. Yeah. They cannibalize themselves a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to put it. And night 13, even though it didn't get all the votes in the world, I mean, it really outdid most of the other G1 nights by far with 183 points total. Uh, It does that night, 13 night. A lot of people have kind of like hyped it as being one of the best G1 nights ever. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but it's definitely up there. So, you know, I just want to give a little shout out to the, <laughs> to the little engine that could that, uh, you know, got a lot of votes there. Yeah, it was well deserved. Uh, that, that's one that I brought up uh, when I was talking with people the other day uh, about, you know, shows of the year. That's I, I said that night 13 is really and I think what was important about that night, too, uh, is it really gave a, you know, a lot of people confidence that, oh, yeah, this company still can like deliver these big time moments, even if the crowds are, are, are subdued and even during a pretty weird spring and a pretty weird summer for, for New Japan. Uh, it was nice. And I think I, I'm with you, Joshua. Like, I, I think there are better G1 nights all time. Like, I don't think I would put it anywhere near the pantheon of like, you're, you're, you know, back in your 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Was, like, you know, six straight matches that were all like just fucking great. There's, uh, that, there's that one night, G124. I don't remember the night, but it's like there's literally like eight four star matches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this one got, this one is in, you know, in the conversation for like, you know, one of the better ones of, of, of maybe recent memory, but uh, no, it, it, it certainly, it helped by this year uh, with so many down years, but yeah, I, I'm glad it did get some love though. And I'm glad it did finish there. Cause it really does. I think stand above pretty much uh, anything else from the G one and pretty much anything else from the entire spring and, and, and summer and then fall uh, of new Japan for wrestling. So I'm glad, I, I'm glad it got in there. Yeah, and I think another reason why this night gets a a ton of praise and people are saying it's one of the best nights ever. I think at this point, 
we were really kind of just thirsty for like a normal G1. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah we're, we're just we, like, come on, they gotta be good, right? Right. Still good, right? It's like, oh yeah, they are still good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I we, wish you would have said hungry as opposed to thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> hungry, thirsty, we're both. We just we wanted the great action. You know, you know, your, your buddy Lanza. He's you know he's waiting for that get into it moment. And, yeah, uh, right, right. And I yeah, think, it was finally that night that I think it, it, it finally did happen. So right, and I think we're as fans just desperate to want to throw four and a half, five stars on matches we want that action that we're accustomed to to the g1 so when we got this night 13 yeah. with you know, the awesome okada shingo main event you had the the violent obushi suzuki matchup you had osprey and taichi having a good match um Cobb and um ishii and then you know jay white and uh Yujiro was very quick and out of the way and so yeah overall from this year it was definitely one of the best nights well um that is gonna do it for show of the year let's talk about the junior of the year yep so the jushin thunder liger junior of the year coming in third place with 373 points one half of rapungi 3k show come in second place with 378 points el desperado and then coming in first and our winner of the 2020 jushin thunder liger junior of the year of 811 points goes to hiromu takahashi Wow. <laughs> that's a that's a huge point variance. Uh it's well deserved. Um I think universally most people kind of uh assumed that Hiromu was gonna win this award. I think this might be the second time he's actually won junior of the year for for our awards. I'm gonna go through and look, but um I mean the work he did in the New Japan Cup, uh his early run, you know, the match with Hiromu, or I'm sorry, with Will Ospreay, the match with Ryu Lee. Um, the feud with Ishimori. Uh, I mean, here's the thing with, with uh, I was going to mention this when we talked about Wrestler of the Year, but uh, I kind of forgot to, so it's good I could put it in here. Had they decided to put Hiromu in that G1, I think we would have had a really close race between him and Naito for Wrestler of the Year. But, you know, it's sort of like you guys always say on Voice of Wrestling, it's like you can't really count anything until the G1 happens because you just – you know, that really invalidates what a lot of people have done prior right. to that. And uh, I think that's what we saw here. But, I mean, congratulations to uh, Hiromu. I mean, he pretty much carried the junior division literally all year long. Yeah, this is an all-time junior year for, for Hiromu. So, I I think he – I mean, honestly, he probably should have gotten 100% of the votes. Like, you know, for, <laughs> for being like – I mean, there's – I mean, nothing against Sho, who, who I like, and, and Desperado, who I like as well. But, like, yeah, or Ishimori, who, who got some votes as well. I mean, it is no question that this is Hiromu Takahashi's year. I mean, this is an all-time, all-time great uh, junior year, I think, in terms of star power, in terms of uh, what he was able to do. I mean, th- this is this is on the level of, like, you know, some of those classic Liger years where it was like, you know, Liger was as important as some of the heavyweights. And it felt like at times this year that Hiromu was as important uh, as a lot of the heavyweights. And it's why I've always said that, like, he will, you know, whatever they decide to do with Hiromu in the next few years or next year or whatever, is he, he, whether they decide that they need, like, a token, you know, move up to heavyweight. Or if I, my thing is that he just transcends it, that it's just like, it doesn't yeah. matter what he is. You know, he's just, he's Hiromu. Like, it just doesn't matter what, what his size is, doesn't matter how much he weighs, doesn't matter what division he's in. It's just Hiromu. I mean, he's one of the top stars in the company, no matter what, you know, if he's a junior or not. We'll see if they do that or if they, you know, make up, hey, he gained 10 pounds and I was heavyweight. Yay. Like, there we go. Like, that sort of thing. But I don't think you need to with him. Like, you really don't because he's just that good and he's just that talented. So, uh, to me, this was like an all time, all time great junior year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I have no issues whatsoever. Uh, with, with Roma winning, and I, I really just have to ask. I, I, I'm looking at the uh, uh, the voting here. I see Rocky Romero. Does he vote in these awards or no? <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I mean, I like I like Rock. Like, no offense to Rocky Romero, but like, 
I don't know well, if I voted second. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we we are good friends with Rocky Romero. We've had him on the show before, but uh, speaking um, about it, because <laughs> it was pretty much it, it was pretty much like you know, if you notice, there's only five people that right, we right, right. even nominated. We were like, you know, Rocky did all that. He, he obviously wasn't in Japan, but we're like, he kind of needs to be on the ballot for kind of just holding things down over in, in America for what whatever that's worth, you know? Yeah, and the New Japan Strong, like all joking aside, the New Japan Strong stuff, he's one of the better guys on that show. So yeah. it's like, and he's been in, you know, he's in with, you know, feuding with Danny Limelight and stuff. Like he's one of the, the actual guys that feels like he's not just there to kind of fill out the, the show. He feels like an important cog in that. So yeah, I'll joke you aside. Like, no, he, he he's definitely a pretty important guy, but I just find that funny. I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know what? I'll put myself for a second place. Like, no, yeah, I was, he couldn't vote for himself say, first in good conscience. Like he knew that he didn't belong in first, but you know, yeah, he can yeah that's what I was going to say. Like if he, if he was voting, like he didn't even vote for, he got no first place vote. So like, no, he, was, he couldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's an honest man. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look through the emails and see if his uh, came through <laughs> on the ballot. Our Romero, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Super Rock it. at NJP. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so, Jeremy, I, I went through the uh, records out of the last four years three times. This is the third time. Jushin Thunder Liger Jr. of the Year. We might need to change the name of this award to the uh, Hiromu <laughs> Takahashi Jr. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, yeah. Hiromu, just an incredible performer. And I think, you know, unlike with Wrestler of the Year, we were saying, you know, there wasn't one guy that kind of covered all areas. You had guys that were really good at in-ring, and you kind of had guys that were really star power. But I feel here, Hiromu kind of covered all the bases. Like, you're looking for a junior with great in-ring, Hiromu was there. You're looking for a junior with star power, Hiromu was there. You know, fan connectivity, drawing ability, uh, and yeah. even look at the way he was positioned in the Best of Super Junior Tournament. Even not being the champion, he was in majority of the semi-mains and main events. It just shows you how high the company sees him and just what an asset <laughs> he is for the company. And just, yeah, literally being the face of the junior division and holding that division together this year. Especially a year when um, a division that's really utilizes the imports and the gaijin wrestlers you know they we didn't have a lot of that this year so really it was hiromi who was kind of holding it down yeah how do you think they drew budokan yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're, gonna get, you're gonna get yourselves in trouble i'm not gonna uh, i'm not gonna respond to that one i mean it's the yeah. truth I, we we th- this is a no flex zone we don't lie on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> i love it yeah that's good. so um obviously uh you know just a uh, real quick mention show and desperado two of the other guys that were here uh during you know during the pandemic time kind of you know really made a name for themselves working like in the never division working in the uh what was it called the j cup what's wrong with me why do i forget names best sleeper juniors no oh, the, um, the f- new japan cup the new, the new japan cup god what's wrong with me um but yeah they just uh i think both of those guys really position themselves well we kind of see that reflected in how they were booked in the super juniors this year um because i don't know that in the past that they've ever been booked quite so high and i think a lot of it has to do with the goodwill they built up throughout the year obviously this was a like we've talked about a one-man race but uh i just want to throw a quick shout out to despy and show i think they did good work and i see good things from them in the future yeah, it was a good – I mean, all in all, I think it was a good year for the juniors. I think they really did show out and, and, and have a good year. But, yeah, it's like – I'm glad you did that because, yeah, Sho and, and, and Ishimori and Desperado all deserve some love. But, yeah, it, it's nothing against them that, like, Hiromu is just, like, in another stratosphere just because he's, like, a, a once-in-a-lifetime all-time great wrestler. And it's just amazing that this guy's a year – you know, like, we didn't have him last year. <laughs> this right. Is all, like, 
<laughs> it's oh my god that, that the not only coming back is awesome but coming back and like not missing a beat and being the exact yeah because that was my worry is that he's gonna come back but it's like he's gonna be careful he's gonna and i think what was awesome is like that first i think it was the first spot he literally did in the ring was just like you know throw his neck into like the corner yes like, you know, <laughs> like, all right, yeah, we're good we're good we're good he's gonna be Hiromo till literally he dies in the ring so that's that's fine i mean that you, you, want, that, you want him to be what he wants to be you know and that and that is obviously what that man was born to do so it's like whatever you know what Let, let's ha- let's go for it I, I did not want a safe careful Hiromu Takahashi that's, <laughs> that's not gonna be something else interesting also I want to point out with uh, Taiji Ishimori you know current junior champion he's been junior champion pretty much the since June and did not no place in the top three <laughs> and I just think Ishimori is one of those guys we talked about it on the show I feel like he's one of these guys he's obviously super talented but doesn't always maybe live up to his potential when you see his name like oh Ishimori this is going to be a great match and sometimes he kind of sleepwalks his way uh, oh, through yeah. matches and it he's been go- doing that for a decade really I mean if, if, if you followed even his early Noah years or, or really not even his early Noah years his entire Noah career it was the same thing you're like oh Taiji Shimori let's go and like there are times where he is just fucking incredible and you're like yes, yeah alright and then most of the time he's not and you're like oh yeah like you, gotta, <laughs> you do have to kind of remind yourself that the guy looks like a million bucks and sometimes he wrestles like a million bucks but a lot of times he doesn't and it's you gotta just kind of Get rid, but that's a, it's a great point. He does kind of feel like I. When you mentioned that, I was like, "Oh yeah, he is the champion." Like I, for what some reason, I feel like Hiro was the champion, but he's not. He's clearly. I mean, he's going to be in a few days, but right. Um, it, yeah, it is. It is amazing that Ishimori has yeah, like a six month title reign, and he's not even in consideration for the best junior <laughs> right. of the year. And you look at look at how he's booked the best of super juniors. A lot of times he was in the opening matches, not even semi mains, barely in a main event. I think he might have like one or two main events, but. Mainly, he's on that first half of the card, which is kind of, you know, you would think the junior champion would get higher placement. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have much more to, to add there. I think you guys definitely summed it up uh, perfectly. Let's, uh, let's talk about the tag team of the year. All right. So tag team of the year coming in third place with 256 points. We have the uh, three-man unit of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi, our current never- Open with six-man champions. Coming in second place with 401 points. The team of Golden Ace, Hoshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. And then coming in first, our 2020 Tag Team of the Year with 852 points. The current IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, the Dangerous Techers, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi. Uh, yeah, this came as very, I mean, no surprise to anybody. I mean, um whatever kind of criteria you want to judge on for tag team of the year, it does seem like dangerous techers sort of excelled, you know, uh, if, if you're looking for someone that's entertaining, going to cut, you know, dynamic promos in the back, it's going to be Despian, uh, or I'm sorry, not Despian. It's going to be, uh, Tai Chi and Zach. Those guys just seem to kind of understand each other, have this really great rapport. Uh, they're very witty and snappy, um, when it comes to like kayfabe, I mean, they won the tag team titles for the first time, and you know, defended them, def- uh, defended them multiple times. Um, they were the, easily the MVPs of the World Tag League. Um, they were in one of the most you know heralded feuds of the year, the, the feud with uh, Golden Ace, which I think is one of the things that definitely put them over. But then night in and night out, even when they're not just in regular two-on-two tags but when they're in those uh suzuki goon eight mans suzuki goon ten mans they kind of always stood out as being like 
one of the big focal points all year long in those matches, getting their shit in, you know, making their little like stories, you know, kind of felt and heard, especially with the the feud with Golden Ace. And um, they just kind of dominated the tag team scene all year, which is funny because so many people talked about Golden Ace and how, you know, getting this mega team together was going to be the thing that revitalized the tag team division. But a lot of people kind of, it almost felt like dangerous techers sort of slept walked into the top position. And before you knew it, suddenly it's like, Oh wow, they're the champions. Oh wow. They're the, they're the best tag team in the company. Oh wow. They might be one of the best tag teams in the world in 2020. And uh, I think it's definitely well-deserved. Yeah. I think to me, I mean, they're, Really by default, I, I, I think you kind of have to vote Dangerous Techers. I mean, I think obviously Golden Ace, you know, I, I think had a pretty good year, but it felt like a very incomplete year for them. And it felt like, you know, obviously once the shutdown happened, they did not go back to, to, to Golden Ace. I mean, they were still kind of there, but they weren't, it wasn't quite the same. They weren't quite pushed on the same level. And, and, and Techers were, you know, pushed earlier in the year, pushed later in the year, had really good matches throughout the year as well. Um, I'm not like the biggest fan of that. Like, I think they're fine. I think they're pretty damn good. I know a lot of people really, really like them, but I have no issue with them being the tag team of the year. Cause I just don't know that there was a ton of competition uh, in new Japan this year. And it was a pretty, I'd say a pretty down year uh, for new Japan's uh, uh, tag division and the world tag league di- didn't really do a ton, even though I, I didn't mind the tournament, but it didn't do a ton to be like, Oh, this team is clearly like the team of the year. It's, it was pretty much like, Oh yeah. Tucker's is definitely it. So yeah, they, 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 they rightfully won this in a blowout. That is disrespectful to Goto, Ishii, and Hashi. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think, too, one thing that benefited Dangerous Checkers also was the fact that, you know, there were some of the, the top Gaijin teams weren't there. You know, you didn't have Finjuice in Japan. You didn't have Girls of Destiny in Japan. Those are some of the top teams that are usually in the mix. You know, in the beginning of the year, we saw it was mainly god and finju so they're kind of rivaling for a tag team title at wrestle kingdom and then new beginning and then they kind of shift to do the dangerous techers golden ace thing but also with the pandemic we didn't get god or finjuice back until you know a couple months ago and so also that left the door open for dangerous techers to really take the reins and you know come up and be the top tag team with that feud with golden ace and i'm, I'm a fan of dangerous techers i really like Tai Chi and Saber together I like their work a lot. I think they gel really well as far as in ring and like Josh mentioned, their um, post match stuff is uh, always pretty funny. And so yeah, I don't yeah I would have gone Dangerous Checkers all the way here. I I actually voted Goto Ishi and Yoshihashi is number one. <laughs> 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 I really dug them this year, but uh, yeah, I went number two Dangerous Checkers. Okay, yeah, I, I think I went number I went number two Golden Ace and then number three I went Goto Ishi and Yoshihashi. <laughs> Oh man, you're you're so accurate with your uh, voting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on to uh, one of my favorite categories, the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award. All right, so Carl Gotch Strong Style Award, third place with 455 points, the Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii. That's shocking. Which is an upset because Ishii has won our. He wins this every year. Rightfully <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, come in second place with 497 points, Minoru Suzuki. And then our winner in first place with 542 points, the current never open weight champion, the dragon, Shingo Takagi. Wow. You know what's crazy about this? So, like I mentioned, Ishii has won this every year, except the first year we ever did it, which was 2017. He was edged. Um, I have the, the amount here. He lost to Shibata by nine points so he wow. was like 
it was like neck and neck. So yeah, the fact that he lost, but not only lost, but like was, you know, unseated by both Suzuki and Shingo tells you a lot about, about this year. And one of the biggest things is like, we praised the juniors for the work they did, but the reality is in terms of actual junior work, there was very little this year because the, you know, because the pandemic happened and they had to basically uh, convert to doing open weight matches most of the year. And so since we didn't have a super juniors and we didn't have very many junior matches, we ended up with just what I call like the strong style year where people were just beating the shit out of each other <laughs> all year long. And it fucking ruled. And, um, yeah, and Shingo was the top guy. He might not have won the MVP uh, here this year for Wrestler of the Year, but I mean, I think he deservedly won the, uh, you know, the Strong Style Award. And uh, I mean, I I have no qualms with this at all. I mean, he he fucked everybody up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right. You know, it's actually interesting. I was going to mention almost exactly what you said, Josh, with, with you know this award. I think you you get a lot more competition this year because a lot more people had to sort of channel that inner strong style uh, in them, and it, you couldn't just go out there and have you know a bunch of really cool matches, a bunch of really cool moves, and a bunch of kickouts. Like you had to get in there, and and especially in the early days, especially in New Japan Cup, you just had to get out there and, and beat the fuck out of each other and grunt a bunch. And that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what these three men did: is is beat the hell out of each other and grunt a lot. And and I thought uh, I, I love it. I love that Shingo won this award this year because I think he was the best at beating the hell out of people and grunting a lot this year. But uh, uh, really, <laughs> I mean, really, you could not have gone wrong with any of these three guys. Uh, I thought Shingo was a little bit better than the other two uh, this year, but it's not saying, I mean, these are three of like my favorite wrestlers in New Japan this year, three of the guys that I enjoyed the most and three of the guys that I think adjusted the most and, and the best to the no crowds or the, or, or the clap crowds or whatever, because they were just not dependent on, and didn't matter. They could have wrestled in an empty warehouse the rest of the year. And it wouldn't matter. Cause it was just these dudes going out there and beating the hell out of each other and uh, yeah. slapping each other and grunting a lot. And that, that can work in front of 10,000 people or two people. And, and that's what I think really helped. Uh, with, with these three so yeah no really no bad choice out of these three i i any combination of the three i, I i'd probably agree with to be honest yeah it's something i mentioned earlier on the show when we were, we were kind of reviewing the new japan cup shows like the new japan cup shows a lot of these matches that featured these guys it was very similar to what we saw with the ufc and what we're still seeing with the ufc as they're running empty arena shows like we're still seeing some really good fights and like you can get into it because the focus is in the octagon with two competitors. These guys are, you know, hitting each other hard, trying to knock each other out, submit each other. And I don't think the empty arena really impacted the presentation of the UFC so much. And so when you look at some of the empty arena stuff, the New Japan Cup stuff, when you have these guys like Ishii and Shingo and Suzuki just slapping the crap out of each other, forearming each other, headbutting each other, you know, crazy, you know, suplexes and brain busters, like, and the focus was all on them in the ring. There wasn't a lot of outside brawling. Like, it, right. fit, it fit so well to that style. And so, yeah, the Never style really just kind of elevated itself in this empty arena clap crowd environment and yeah it doesn't it didn't matter it could, it could have been a full building empty building these guys are still gonna go out there and kill each other and that's one thing i love about shingo is that it doesn't matter where he is on the card where he's when he's opening closing what size arena it is he's a guy that kind of goes out there and gives it a hundred percent no matter what the spot is and goes out there we talk about like in the world tag league when he was teaming with sonata and just how his energy kind of rubbed off on sonata and made sonata try uh harder in that tournament yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you, yeah you just look from the beginning of the year to the end of the year of the year yeah shingo just absolutely incredible and even like some of the the open weight matches he had with show and desperado yep. and really making that never title open weight and challenging juniors which is something that fans have kind of been clamoring for for a while now they wanted to see juniors and heavyweight mix it up and with shingo just recently leading junior division we were able to get some of those matches 
Yeah, we've always called the uh, the Never title the strong style heavyweight title of the world. And uh, he <laughs> exemplified that this year. Yeah. Um, the work he did with Ishii, the work he did with Show, like you mentioned, Desperado. Uh, matches that kind of got forgot with Goto. That hey, Josh, pretty you're, much- you're breaking up pretty bad. I apologize. Um, what I was saying was with the fact that most of the other belts were – tied up in different situations this year we only really had two major singles heavyweight belts uh this and the iwgp and for my money the run that uh shingo had was better than the run that naito or evil had with that belt this year Uh, like to me he made it the must-see prestigious title within the company which is you know that's a big deal yeah, did an excellent job elevating the Never title. And yeah, I think, yeah, the Never title has been my favorite title this this whole year. And so from there, we can uh, go on to Feud of the Year. So our final three here for Feud of the Year coming in third place with 278 points. We had Jay White versus Kota Ibushi. Coming in second place with 355 points, we had Shingo Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki. And then our winner at first place with 388 points, the 2020 Feud of the Year, Golden Ace versus Dangerous Techers. I'm a little surprised. What do you guys think about this one? What do you think, Rich? I think, you know, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I was, on, uh, I was on mute there. But uh, to <laughs> me, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would honestly have a vote here. I, I, like, I might abstain from, from voting Feud of the Year. I just don't think there was a feud that really resonated with me in New Japan this entire year. And a big reason why I think I was probably a little bit more on down on New Japan than I had been any other year since I really, really started watching. But like, there's just there's just not much there that that i really loved like shingo suzuki was was cool but it was it was pretty short i think like mm-hmm. you know suzuki and, and moxley at the beginning of the year that was pretty cool but again that was really short uh kenta and naito was really really cool but again that was really short and i think by default you have golden ace and techers but i don't i don't know if i really like that feud all that much so it's like <laughs> i don't know what to, i honestly i i truthfully do not believe i i don't know what i would vote for here if, if given a choice because it's a lot of feuds that i think were, were pretty good but none that i could truly call a feud of the year, a feud that definitely defined uh, New Japan in 2020. So I might have just done a no vote here, to be honest. I, it, it's a real tough year for for feuds, I think. I think for, for, for me, I can say it. I would have gone Shingo Suzuki because I thought it was the best three-match series in ring. But there's definitely that drawback that you mentioned there, Rich, that uh, you know, it was kind of short. It was a little disconjointed. The only, the only match that I felt like had a true, genuine build was the first one. There was a lot of hype for that Jingu Stadium match, and then after that, uh, maybe not so much for the for the second one. So it just kind of happened. But um, with Golden Ace and Dangerous Techers, what makes sense to me is they had the two matches that were both on major cards, but then they had the long series of matches that were like multi mans in between. They also had two big angles where. Golden Golden Ace got jumped by Dangerous Techers uh, pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic. And then just all the little storytelling stuff they did in the builds to him, you know, with, uh, you know, Tanahashi not knowing if he, you know, was holding back Ibushi and Ibushi trying to become God Capital, like actual God. <laughs> <who>. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there, there was – this is the one feud that I feel like had both good matches and and actual behind the scenes, you know, build and people seem to be engrossed with it where, where some of these other ones had drawbacks. Maybe they were like a one match series or a two match series, or maybe they were all story, but the match wasn't so great. This was the one 
that I felt like was the most balanced that kind of, I kind of had an inkling that it might win this award. Yeah. You know, we had a pretty hard time putting this list together. Cause like you mentioned, Rich, a, yeah. lot, a lot of these feuds were either really short. They're either like two matches or the matches were spread out throughout the year. There weren't a ton of angles. There weren't a ton of promos. And so, yeah, it's kind of, there's not one of these feuds that's like, this is the, you know, New Japan feud. But like Josh mentioned, I do think Golden Age Angels Techers is probably the closest thing that had series of matches between just those two teams and then the multi-man team matches and then all the different backstage promos you got with Ibushi and right. Tanahashi. And so I think from everything on this list, it's probably the most well-rounded feud. Yo, shout out to the three people that voted Yumura Suji. I love it. I was, about, I was just about to bring that up. Right? Honestly, reading that, I was like, you know what? That would probably be my vote. Is like, yeah, the, the, the G1 C block, a little bit of like, you know, undercard, you know, going back and forth. You look at the records. There's a lot of fun uh, in those Young Lion feuds. So, yeah, shout out to the. I, I, I did not vote in these awards, uh, but if I did, that may have been my pick for number one, just out of default. So. Yeah, one one thing I want to give a shout out to that didn't get a ton of votes was the Will Osprey Zack Saber feud. Uh, it's yeah. one of these feuds that kind of gets forgotten about because it was at the beginning of the year pre COVID, and, and this, it ruled. Yeah, it was for the Rev Pro title, and they had the first match in New Beginning in Sapporo, and then they had the follow up match in Rev Pro. But there was also like a ton of multi mans. There was that great over the top rope uh, ten man that Osprey won to get the rematch at Rev Pro, and there was just a lot of promo and backstage stuff that surrounded that match. There was like a, a good like handful of matches that built in between their two title matches and i really enjoyed their matchups this year right there with you let's talk about the big van vader guy of the year award yes and like we mentioned on the preview show with zach saber jr we can't remember we don't know what happened we can't remember <laughs> if we purposely left him out or if it was just a goof uh either way uh saber was not on the ballot this year uh so here's what we have for our final three so coming in third with 296 points, the hatchet of the Empire, Jeff Cobb. Coming in second place, 501 point, we have Will Ospreay. And then coming in first, our winner, 799 points in the 2020 Big Band Vader Gaijin of the Year, Switchblade, Jay White. I don't know, had we had Zack Sabre on the ballot, if it would have made a huge difference or not. But, um, I mean, this guy got almost 800, 800 points, um, like 311 people voted him first place, which is like the majority of the voters. So it's like, uh, or maybe not. No, I'm sorry. It's like 100 something, but still, it's that's a lot. So, yeah, uh, I, Jay White ran away with this shit. <laughs> and it's also crazy because he was like not even in Japan for a good portion of the year. Yeah. So I, I think it's a pretty, it's a tough award this year, obviously more than any other year, just because, you know, most of these people weren't uh, uh, able to be here for a lot of the year. So yeah, you really have to split, you know, it's the first half of the year uh, and then the G one and on. And, and, and yeah, I, I have no issues with the, with the votes. I, like you said, I would have been interesting to see where Zach Saber jr. Had landed uh, because I think he, he's got a pretty good case for it almost by default because he was somebody that was felt like he was kind of there uh, most of the time. But I, I, I think Jay White's a good pick too because we can't forget what he was doing at the beginning of the year and he you know main evented wrestle kingdom and and, and played a big role uh in, in night one of wrestle kingdom and then will as well i think had a really good start to the year in terms of having the match with Hiromu, as we said the zack saber jr match and some other stuff uh early in the year and that and that's always tough especially in this year is to remember that like no january february and march what you know was this same calendar year <laughs> yeah uh, and does belong you know in, in, in the running here and when you make those cases 
uh, I, I think, yeah, to me, those guys that you voted for definitely belong. And and, and White, I think, had a really good you know end of his year uh, and will to a lesser extent as well, even though the in-ring maybe wasn't at the level that we saw prior to the year. Uh, we saw him become an important figure uh, in New Japan and obviously make that leap up to you know running his own unit. And, and it's going to culminate at, at, at Wrestle Kingdom, obviously, with a, what should be an awesome match with Okada. So uh, Will definitely belongs in the, in the mix there as well. I've got a feeling, had the controversy with with the speaking out stuff not happen, maybe this uh, point total is a little closer, or maybe even Will might even. Yeah, I think want that's, it. that's probably pretty good. Yeah, I mean there there are obviously a lot of people for right or wrong. I'm not I'm not going to do that on this show for God's sake. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't have enough time, and I don't want to do it. Uh, but no, like yeah, for right, right or wrong or whatever, you know, whatever you think, there's definitely people. And, and again, like I'm, I'm, what you think about it, I can't tell you how to feel uh, about somebody, but no, there's probably no doubt that. Uh, um, you know, some of the votes that, that maybe would have went to Osprey in, in, in March have, have definitely uh, been been taken away and, and given other people. So, And I think something else that helps uh, Jay White's case here, too, was being pretty much the biggest star on New Japan Strong. You know, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when he came in, it was like, oh, wow, we actually have, like, a main event guy that's on this show that's, you know, former IWGP champion and one of the top, you know, pillars of the promotion right now. And so that was kind of a big deal, and Bullet Club pretty much run ran rampant on that show, and a lot of the storylines have been people feuding with Bullet Club, feuding with Jay White. So he kind of really held down strong as far as a star power perspective. And it was in the early days of the show when people probably still watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I admit, uh, I'll admit myself, I have, uh, I have not kept up with uh, the old strong, so... <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the faction of the year. So coming in third place with 289 points, we have the Bullet Club. Coming in second place with 604 points, we have suzuki Yoon. And then our winners coming in first place, 716 points, the 2020 faction of the year, Los Ingobernables de Japón. For the fourth year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, LJ Memorial Award here for faction of the year. Uh, I mean, it is. I mean, it's definitely them. I mean, they were the most important faction the entire year. Um, key, you know, figures in, in main events, key figures in all the stories. Like it, this was a year of LIJ. I mean, it was it was Naito or beginning the year. You know, the evil stuff, Sonata being involved, Roman being involved. I mean, it is very clearly their year, and I think. Uh, any other, I mean, really votes for any other team, I think, is, is mostly just because you like that team a little bit more. But I think objectively, like, you got to have to vote for LIJ here. The one thing I will say, um, I definitely think LIJ deserves this award um, for all the same reasons that you just mentioned, Rich. But the one thing I will n- say that I noticed, they didn't really team together that much this year. Most years, we spent a lot of time talking about the eight mans and ta- ten mans that they have and, you know, how cohesive they are. And they're like, probably the closest thing new Japan has to like, maybe your say your classic, like dragon gate sort of um, style, like tag team work, but like they didn't really tag together that much this year. Like we're kind of basing this based off popularity and then based off just general success of the faction, a la chaos, you know, but not so much. Like I can't remember too many times where I saw all five members in the ring doing, you know, the, the salute and the golden roll call and stuff like that. You just didn't see it that much. It's mostly based off of, individual successes that they had throughout right. the year. Yeah, and I think, you know, looking at third place with Bullet Club, I think Bullet Club had a sneaky kayfabe successful year when you look at Evil joining and winning the New Japan Cup, winning double titles at Dominion. Um, I know this doesn't count in this year, but you just had ELP winning the Super J Cup. 
Um, I just feel like there's some other like kind of standout moments there with Bullet Club this year. You know, you had Jay White winning the briefcase. Uh, so from a KP perspective, I think Bullet Club um, had a good year that I think people might have kind of downplayed on. Bro, when you're talking about sneaky, what about uh, Suzuki Goon? You know, this 116-point variance is the closest anybody's ever gotten to unseating LIJ as Faction of the Year. And uh, I mean, I don't remember if I voted Suzuki Goon number one or number two, but I could I might have voted them number one just because I thought they had an awesome year. Um for for various reasons, uh, you know, we don't have to go into all of it to, you know, cause I don't want to make us go over time. But, uh, you know, I am wondering how much longer LIJ, how, you know, their dominance is going to be there because it does kind of uh, there's a lot of people kind of jumping on the Suzuki Goon bandwagon these days. Yeah, I think we've, we've seen with like the, the emergence of like dangerous techers and how much people love like their backstage promo and their kind of banter. We've seen a lot, you know, we got a lot of questions the last several weeks from listeners like, you know, are dangerous techers, are they baby faces now? Because everybody's really digging what they've been doing. Um, and then you had Suzuki, who's had a great year with the Never, uh, Never Title and his feuds with Shingo and Nagata. And then you had, you know, Desperado. Despy, Despy's at an all time high. He's apparently the MVP of the Super Juniors. <laughs> Uh, and then yeah, and also has junior tag stuff with Kanamaru. They they won that mini like junior league tournament. So yeah, mm-hmm. Suzuki Gun had a great year as well. They fucking rolled. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to most improved. So coming in with third place with three hundred and nine points. Speaking of Suzuki Gun, Doki. Robbery. This is robbery. <laughs> uh, coming in second place, 463 points, Tai Chi. And then coming in first place, 498 points, the 2020 most improved wrestler, Yoshi Hashi, the bag of socks. I, I, I never thought we would see the day. Like, this is a proud moment in the history of this show. <laughs> Yeah, this is actually, believe it or not, for for such a weird year in, in, in pro wrestling, such a weird year in New Japan, there was a lot of guys that I think all deserve some credit here. And I, I think you named a lot of those uh, ones here. Yoshihashi, I think, is a great pick. Uh, Taichi, uh, who, who finished second, I, I really thought this year he became a, a complete package and a guy that I really enjoyed after not really enjoying his in-ring. Like, always understanding the character and understanding his importance to the show, but really liking his in-ring this year. Uh, Dookie, as you said, uh, really, really good year as well. I mean, he became, like, a legit, like, decent guy on the roster after being kind of a laughing stock. <laughs> you know, the first year yeah. uh, he was there. And then some other guys that you didn't mention, but I'm seeing on your, your voting here, I think show absolutely took a ne- another leap into, into another pantheon and proved that he could be a singles guy. Uh, and then I love the picks of, of like Yu Yu Amura and Yotsuji, particularly Yu Yu Amura, who I think has really made himself like very clearly a step ahead of all, you know, you know, of Gabriel Kidd, of Yotsuji, all those sort of guys. Like you could see it with this guy and the way that they booked him this year, you can tell that they see it with him as well. So, uh, yeah, despite the very weird year, I think there was a lot of guys that really improved their stock and, and, and really, I think, brought brought it this year for sure. So I there's a lot of good. I mean, really, there's like five choices that if you voted for that guy, number one, I'd say, yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. For years on this show, uh, I just got a lot of flack for the vehement hatred that i spewed out at yoshihashi and uh i still believe to this day that it was well well deserved but i always said that if this guy ever turned the corner we would change our tune and he did turn the corner and we have completely changed our tune like suddenly like i'm marking out for yoshihashi which is something i never (laughs) ever (laughs) thought i would ever do and um just very impressed. Uh, it was an incredible moment seeing him win his first title and that entire little, you know, never six man tag t- 
title tournament that they did. Um, and then, you know, the, the various uh, title feuds that he's had since that time. And even, bro, the G1 he had in the B yeah, block. G1 like, was fire. Night after night. <laughs> it was, it was good. Fucking it was really, really good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad. I'll let you guys go, but I, I loved it. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Doki. Doki is who I voted uh, first place here. Like you mentioned, Rich Hipster. <laughs> coming in last year. <laughs> coming in last year, he he was a laughing stock. There's a lot of people that were very hard on him, including myself. And he was coming in the best of Super Juniors, and, and you know you had some really top performers in that tournament last year. And so it's kind of big shoes for him to fill. But again, being a year where a lot of the juniors couldn't come into the country, he got a lot more time to shine this year. He, he was put in some little mini feuds. You know, he feuded with Watto. He was in these the Never Six Man Title feud. And then he was in Best of the Super Juniors, and he just really stepped his game up, and is just now he's like a serious comp- competitor now. You know, last year he was a, a stand-in for the tournament because you, you had Desperado uh, breaking his jaw in that match with Jun Kasai. Uh, but now he, he's a guy like he, he shouldn't be a replacement anymore. Like he should be a guy that's slotted in the tournament. Jeremy, it's hard for me to vote for him as most improved when uh, I already knew he was good from day one, right? Yeah, yeah. Jo- 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 Josh was ahead on, on the Doki curve. I was way ahead. As soon as I saw him, everyone was giving him slack. I was like, I think he's pretty good, actually. <laughs> oh, man. You want to talk about New Japan of America MVP, which is a new award we have on this show? Yep. So first year that we're doing New Japan of America MVP. Also, we had a lot with strong and also we we had the, the map at the end of last year where they're planning on doing all oh, i love the map <laughs> i forgot about the map uh, it, oh, says, it, says, it says west mid texas <laughs> uh, the way we all designate the united states of america west mid and texas yeah oh god I, that was so great God, well, how long? Oh, that seems like so long. <laughs> yeah, no, it seems like God. like like five years ago. Big plan, big plan. I'm sorry, to cut you off, Jeremy. Go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but uh, so coming in third place here, 276 points. We had Carl Fredericks coming in uh, third. Uh, well, hold on, so second place with 313. Messed points. up. Yeah, so third place, 276 points. Carl Fredericks, second place, 313 points. Switchblade, Jay White, and then first place, the 2020 New Japan of America MVP, the current holder of the right to challenge for the U.S. title, Kenta. How did the great TJP score so low? I don't know. You know, I think he was. Uh, people just saw him. His greatness was too much to handle that people couldn't vote for him. <laughs> I, dude, I, I, I honestly, this is the one where you know I made fun of you know Rocky for for getting votes, uh, you know, uh, for Junior of the Year. This is one that I think I, I'm kind of surprised your guys didn't put him a little bit higher. Like, I, it's nothing against uh, any of the three that finished in the top three, but I, I just think Rocky Romero. If you if you actually watch New Japan Strong, which again, as, as you mentioned, is is few and far between those that are, are still kind of watching it, and and you know myself included, who has, has missed a few weeks here and there. Uh, he's been to me like one of the best guys of that entire show, and and you know it's no slight against these other guys. I haven't loved. As much on that show, and that's probably no. why I would not vote him. It's because it's just he's working a style that I don't really like. It's a style that I don't really love. But there's no question that he's like one of the most important guys in that entire company. Uh, I would have liked to have voted for Carl Fredericks, but I think he kind of fell off a little bit towards the end of the year, and it didn't quite seem like it was all together. And yeah, obviously now he has got the injuries and all that sort of stuff. So this is a tough award. There's a lot of dudes. Like you, can, you have a legit case for Danny Limelight. I would like not tell you. Yep. You're wrong. Like like or ACH. If you wanted to vote ACH, I'd be like, yeah, all right, I could definitely listen to that. So. Uh, it's a weird award where, like, honestly, there's probably like eight dudes that I would absolutely buy if you said, 
this is my MVP of, of, of New Japan of America, which is a very weird year. And like we all predicted that Danny Limelight would be the uh, <laughs> for uh, New Japan of America this in 2020. So I voted Rocky Romero as my number one. There you go. Um, so you're smart. I, I know. But, you. but but that's also to me, he's the Ishii of of the you know, of the show, because it's like he's the best. He's the guy who's having the best matches. But he's also losing the most. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, long story short, I think when you talk about match quality in this company or, or on the show, it's pretty negligible because nothing really is the, – the secret is nothing actually is blow away at all. Um, so it's just a lot of three-star matches across the board. So when it went, but when you talk about Kenta, he won that big, uh, what was it? The new Japan cup of America tournament. He won mm-hmm. the briefcase. He's won several title defenses. Uh, and like you mentioned, Jeremy bullet clubs run roughshod. He's pretty much been the guy on the show for whatever that happens to be worth. Um, I'm hoping next year when we do, if we end up having this award again, if they keep doing this stuff, uh, maybe it'll be a little more prestigious, but, uh, yeah, I think it's hard to argue against Kenta just because there was just way more emphasis on him than anybody else. Yeah, again, another guy when you, when you were looking for star power for this show, when Kenta kind of came on, on the scene, it was like, all right, you know, another kind of star that we saw in Japan. And so I think that's definitely helping his case. And obviously, winning the U.S. briefcase and waiting to challenge John Moxley and having like 20 briefcase defenses on the way there. Also, that was kind of a key part of strong um a guy i think i voted third uh clark connors i thought had a, a really good year yeah and was a guy that stood out on strong you know he won their lions break cup and uh, i mentioned it several times he just reminds me of chris benoit uh very intense and it's that hard-hitting in-ring style and i think he's going to be you know graduating from young lion status pretty soon you should start saying dynamite kids more politically correct. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, it's pretty bad when dynamite kid is, is the better of, of when there's two people and dynamite kid is the guy that you say, yeah, you should probably say him instead of, of the other guy. But uh, yeah, Benoit isn't a, a rare fight air there, but uh, no, he definitely, I, I I'm with you. He definitely has that intensity and is wrestling as well. So I, th- I think I, he's the guy that I would also include on my most improved. Uh, as well i think he's been really 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 good this year one thing with kenta it's kind of not fair because he's got a lot of experience working in small studios in america already (laughs) 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 yeah let's talk about the uh the newcomer of the year oh which is like the weirdest award we've had (laughs) yeah i mean obviously you know in the last several years we've seen a lot of big names come into new japan obviously last year we had moxley and kenta um, we have these kind of big guys coming in year after year, and this was a year, obviously, due to the pandemic, New Japan really couldn't bring guys in. You know, we we heard guys like Birdie Lee and Miro and all these guys, FTR, saying they want to come to New Japan, but obviously there, the opportunity wasn't there uh, due to the pandemic. So kind of slim pickings <laughs> this year for the nominees. Yeah, and not just that, but, like, the current climate of wrestling. Like, we got people who are on this that are, like, already signed by other companies. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty dire list. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty horrendous list. Uh, yeah, when, give, when, us the, give us the rundown. <laughs> yes, it's pretty bad. So, coming in third place with 244 points, WWE's Alex Zane. Coming in second place with 433 points, way to the Grandmaster, Master Watto. And then coming in first with 697 points, Gabriel Kidd. 
Okay. Yeah, I'll just... This stinks. Yeah, you might as well just move on. I mean, when, when Watto is like, you know, uh, uh, you know, not only in the t- in the running, but like very close to winning the whole thing, you know, you've really and and the other newcomer is you know Gabriel Kidd. Well, I like Gabriel Kidd, but like, but that's not that's not the indictment. The indictment is that he's already been a young lion, gone on excursion, back with a spotlight <laughs> right, push, right. and he lost to Gabriel Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, you're right. That is actually a pretty good point. So, yeah, the graduate is below now the, the new young line. Yeah, this is – I love Dick Togo getting votes as well. I mean, it's not wrong. I mean, see, but, like, it's just the idea that, like, 53-year-old fat Dick Togo is, like, a, a well, well, let me give you the, the logic here. here. So, like, we looked at the history. We're like, you know, Togo's been in New Japan for years. But, right, right. But what we found when we went through all the cage matches, we're like, you know, he's never worked more – than like one tour at a time in the company and has never actually been signed. We're like, does he, does he qualify? Is this the first time he's ever actually been like a real employee of the company? We're like, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, we put him in the groat wire on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The groat, the worst newcomer of the year is the groat wire. <laughs> yeah. 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 One thing before, uh, and I'll, I'll leave it to you, Jeremy. Um, for for the four people that voted Mysterioso Jr., you know what the fuck is up. Uh, <laughs> people are people are sleeping on this dude. He is awesome, and um, you know I don't know if he'll ever be a big star, a big name, or but he he fucking rules, and four of you know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I already mentioned, pretty slim pickings here. I mean, majority of these guys were from the U.S. scene, so if you weren't watching watching Strong, you didn't really see Zayn, you didn't see Limelight. Um, or Mysterioso Jr. And then if you're just really watching New Japan, it came down to that. Gabriel Kidd, Dick Togo, and Master Watto. So obviously not not the, the best choices here. I did vote Gabriel Kidd uh, number one. I thought Kidd improved a lot uh, this year. And I think you know his kind of stuff with, with Nagata and some of the New Japan dads was really good this year. And obviously the C-Block stuff with um, Suji and Yamura, I thought he looked really well here. Especially he started incorporating more of like the British style, that British background that he had into his wrestling, which has been awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, fighting spirit award. Yes. The fighting spirit award, which is the award that usually goes to somebody that's, you know, overcome an injury, gone through adversity, or just kind of had an, an incredible year, like won multiple tournaments. So we had some pretty interesting, it's, it's, it's whatever showed the most fighting spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, coming in third place, 251 points, Yoshihashi winning his first title. Wow. Coming in second place, 293 points, Liger's retirement matches in ceremony. And then our winner coming in first place with 470 points, Naito winning the double goal dash. I'm a little shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, man. I don't know. There was some stuff here that I just like, I really like, you know, Suzuki having one of the best career years for over 50 wrestler ever. Um, Hiromu's run through the New Japan Cup as a junior, beating all those heavyweights. Uh, Ishii literally being the MVP of the two main single or men's singles tournaments, which like I don't think has ever been done. Uh, I, I think that that's some of the stuff that I was like envisioning. Oh, yeah. The company's handling of covid 19 <laughs> i literally thought that that was going to be number one but apparently <laughs> apparently naito beating these fools in the dome was uh was a bigger deal. i don't i don't know man <laughs> i'm gonna go on full on hipster here honestly i think my favorite 
thing of the entire year. And and, and Romo's New Japan Cup run is, is is definitely up there. But honestly, and it, it looked like it got a few votes from you guys. Was Yuji Nagata and his run in the New Japan yes. Cup? Where he, he, Thank yes, you. he only got one win, but it was oh my god! I mean, that, I mean, the life uh, like that is one of those matches. And I just got done. You know, we'll, I want to plug it a little bit later, but I'm working on you know the New Japan ebook right now, uh, and I just got done writing New, Yuji Nagata's entry, and I went back and watched that match that he wins, and and oh my god, it's just like there's no crowd there, but there feels like there's like fifteen thousand people there with him as as he you know breaks this you know years years had gone by where he hadn't won a single match in these new japan cups or whatever and he does it and then he goes into that next night with okada and he goes 20 minutes with okada and it's like <laughs> oh my god he's gonna do it they're gonna give that and then it's like oh yeah he shouldn't win but it was like fuck like you, you got yeah he got into it and like to me honestly that that when, when you what what embodies fighting spirit to me was that run from Yuji Nagata. So I might, it may be a little hipster if I decided uh, to go with that. But, but honestly, to me, that was probably my, the moment that most encapsulates the fighting spirit to me was, was Yuji Nagata's run in the new Japan cup. Yeah. 50 year old guy, they call on him and he, he can go. And then yeah, that incredible upset over uh, Suzuki. It was just awesome. He hits the blue justice driver and you're like, Oh my gosh, like is he being Suzuki. He beats Suzuki. And that sets up a return match down the line on the summer struggle tour with the never title match, which was awesome as well. So, Nagata's had these awesome moments, and even like his, his young lion matches, like he slaps the crap out of oh, those, yeah. those young lions and beats them up. And he he always looks great in, in that stuff too. So overall, I thought it was another it was a great year for Nagata. Well, I'm just glad that uh, Rich said that because on the on the Reddit, someone was like, "Resurgence? How did this guy resurge?" Blah blah blah. Uh, it's like ban shut that up, guy. Was- yeah, ban him right now. I don't know who it is. <laughs> but. Um, you know, uh, Naito winning the double gold dash, we spent a lot of time talking about it earlier in the show, but I mean, again, it goes to show you how big of a deal this moment was to so many people that are in the fan base because they voted it over a lot of things that, you know, I'm sure the majority of them probably look at this list and be like, those were all excellent things, big moments, you know, big memories. But uh, for the majority of the audience, like, this was the singular fighting spirit moment, which, like, I don't. I was surprised that it it won, but um, it goes to show you, like we don't always know how the product like affects other people, you know. Yeah, I think we just really underestimate Naito's popularity because honestly, I think a lot of people weren't really big into the whole double gold dash setup and how they got there and how they got Naito into the match. But I think at that what point, do we, what do we know? Look at this. <laughs> but at this point, I think they were just happy that he was involved and that he ended up winning. And so that was just a, a very kind of like big moment for New Japan fans who have been watching Naito for a while and wanting him to finally get his moment. Well, he got it. You want to talk about the young boy of the year? Yes. The, the Josh Smith Award? Yes, the Josh Smith Award. I was going to say, well, <laughs> you give this one to yourself, right? <laughs> you know, I am actually wrestling, right? Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, so uh, you got to count, right? You got to count for this. <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> yeah, Josh is training at the. Uh, you, got ta- you got tapes yet, or, or what? Can we? Uh... I'll, I got. I got a little something. Something. I yeah, yeah. Send, send it over so I can, <laughs> I can tell you you stink. Yeah, you're garbage. No, I'm just kidding. I, no, literally, I, like there. I am worried about like what if I like go with this thing and then like you know four years from now i'm on a collective show and then joe's like this guy well just be good then just be great I mean, that's that's just don't suck and then i think you'll, yeah, you'll be good. No, that's, that's that's all yeah that's awesome though that, that's really cool yeah i always i always kind of thought about potentially doing it and then i was always like no i'm, I'm not going to but i have a few buddies it that definitely did. yeah it looked like it hurt a lot so i had a buddy that went into it and he's like don't it hurts so much i'm like yeah i'm good i'm just gonna watch and sit on my fat ass and tell people that they stink it's much easier well, so well earlier you were t- talking about hiromu and him returning and him not missing a beat right so like one day i took out a crash pad we've got a 
quality crash pads, literally the exact same ones that AEW uses for like their, you know, pre-match workouts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, and we've got a low boy ring. I mean, it doesn't, not, it's not very high off the ground at all. And I, I stood on the apron and I took a back bump to the ground on the crash pad. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) it was the worst bump I ever took. And I was like, and, and it was totally safe, but I couldn't believe it. And I was like, Oh no. So anytime I see someone hitting the floor now, I'm like, Oh my God. Like Hiromu Hiromu with a, with a surgically repaired neck does that senton off the top rope to the outside. Like, what is he thinking? They're idiots. They're yeah. morons. Yeah, every every wrestler is a complete idiot, and you are now a complete idiot as well by doing <laughs> we need. I'm glad you guys are idiots because it is very enjoyable, and I enjoy it. So keep, definitely keep it up. So Let's talk about these young boys. <laughs> so uh, coming in third place with 432 points, Gabriel Kidd. Coming in second place with 491 points, Yota Suji. And then our winner coming in first place, 633 points, Yuya Yomura. What can we say? Yumura, just the ultimate throwback. He looks like a young Fujinami or like a Go Ryuma, something like that. He's just so technically sound, incredible facials, great timing, great awareness. Um, his selling's just awesome. His chain wrestling's off the hook. Uh, he was great in the Super Juniors this past you know, month. And prior to that, he, had, he was awesome in the New Japan Cup. All year, he has just fucking ruled... Um, I mean, I know I'm partial to Suji, but like Yumura is like the most well-rounded performer out of these young lions, and I think he's very special, and I think he's going to be a big star. And I don't, I'm not usually one who's willing to commit to that for any young lion. I might say I like him or I see they have potential, but I see star when I see Yumura. I'm exactly the same way. Uh, he, from the moment he came in, I talked about it earlier in the show. He was like a guy that you know. I just I was like, oh, this is my dude, and this is guy. But more than anything, like you could see it from the moment they walk out. You can see when these guys have that look, have that confidence, you know, have the body, have the skill, all that sort of stuff. And he has put it all together. I mean, he's got an incredible look. He looks kind of like a throwback New Japan guy too. Like he belongs, you know, with Koji Kanemoto and and you know those yes. guys like early nineties Jiro <laughs> Tani. Like he's got that kind of look about him. His body's starting to fill out. You can see the muscle mass coming together, and he's just. Just, there's just a confidence that he exudes when he's in the ring and it's just he he feels it and you know uh, uh, yet, yet again I, I hate you know i'll do it at the end of the show where i pull, pull the book or whatnot but like you know doing his profile and, and reading a little bit more about his year it's clear that new japan it's not just us we all see it we all kind of know that he is kind of a step above the other guys but if you look at his actual booking and the matches that he gets it's clear that they think of him as that way too and it's nothing against suji that's nothing against kid that's nothing against those other guys but those guys they definitely book yo or yo or like they know that this is going to be one of those guys. And when you go back and look at the history of like how Jay White was booked and the history of how uh, Yo and Show were booked and the history of how, you know, uh, these these other young lions that, that really excelled and became stars later, they were booked the same way too. So it's, it, it you know, in a few years, you can put a pin in this, but Yu Yu Amore is going to be a star in this company. Unless, barring some injury or unforeseen circumstances, I think he's going to make it and he's going to be a pretty goddamn part, a great part of the roster too because I think he's really, really, really good. Yeah, and of course, all three guys here were, were the three main young lions that were in Japan all this year, and they were the three that you know in that C block that we had in the G one. They were just you know trading wins and just having awesome matches in those openers of the show. So honestly, I, I could see anybody. I can see reasons why people voted any one of those three guys uh, first place, but definitely, yeah, Yumura is the man, and yeah, he, he looks like a million bucks. And you can just, you, you, like you mentioned, Rich, you can tell like they they have plans for him. It's going to be something special, and whenever he comes back from excursion, I think that's going to be. 
somebody they they kind of put a lot of stock behind. Uh, Yoda Suji, another guy I feel like has improved. I feel like he's he's gotten just put on a ton of mass this, this year as well, and just has been the bruiser out of these young line guys and incorporating a lot of power moves and firing up. And I thought he he had a great year and improved as well. Um, and then. Um, Clark Connors, a guy that almost got in that top three. I think the thing that hurt Clark was the fact that he was stuck in America and it was mainly confined to strong. I feel like if Clark was in Japan, I think he might have gotten some more votes. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it looks, like, it looks like we've got another six categories, maybe like 30 minutes. So um, let's try to string through these as quickly as possible. That way we don't uh, – Hold rich too long. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll go quick. It's, it's mostly my fault. I mean, my God, I, I no, it, it's uh, us. We like to banter, and uh, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get through these ones. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. All right. So uh, next up, we have the strong style fight of the year, and this was this a is my favorite category. It's <laughs> a cool category. Yeah, <laughs> very close here. The, these top three, man, it, it was neck and neck watching the the boats come in and seeing which match was overtaking the, each other. So. Coming in third place, 260 points, we have John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki from New Beginning in Osaka. Coming in second place, 268 points, Minoru Suzuki versus Kota Ibushi from the G1 Climax. And then our winner coming in first place with 287 points, the 2020 Strong Style Fight of the Year, Kota Ibushi versus Tai Chi from the G1 Climax. Well, I'll start us off here. As I mentioned earlier, this was the year of Strong Style, so... Uh, every year we have a lot of entries that are very worthy, but this year more so than any other, I think there was just so many valid entries because there were so many ass kicking matches. Um, and you know, it's funny for me, I, w- I would have gone with, uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Kota Ibushi from the G1. And it like got trounced by this other stuff because that's how deep the quality level was here. Um, Moxley versus Suzuki was interesting in that I actually had it trend. I thought it was a great match, but I had it trending, you know, match rating wise lower than a lot of this stuff. But so many people, I think that match resonated with so many people, especially with just the the run that John Moxley had this year. And I think the novelty of seeing him and Suzuki against one another, that match did very, very well. But the 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 main match that that scored the highest here, Ibushi Taichi. I think the main reason that this one won was just the fact that it stood out from the rest of the the bunch because it's the kicking match. It's the (laughs) match where they did nothing but kick each other. And when you talk about a quote unquote fight of the year, um, uh, uh, you know, a match that has realism to the point where you're like, that was super violent. It's hard to deny the validity of a match where guys just kick each other over and over and over again to see who's the real man. I, I love it. Yeah, that's the match that I voted first place for. Yeah, just literally, what was that? 20 to 25 minutes of Ibushi and Taichi just literally kicking each other. Maybe one or two other moves. Just a pure violence of, it was like a kickboxing match. These guys just kick after kick after kick. And it was just, just like you mentioned, stood out. It was very different. It's kind of a very violent matchup. So I see why a lot of people agreed with me and voted that first place. Yeah, it's a lot of really good. We talked about it a little bit earlier when we talked about you know the strong style guys this year, and it was a year that those sort of match types really excelled because you know they were able to. It's it's a simple story that you can tell in front of a, a full crowd or or, or a no crowd. Uh, so there's a lot of really good choices here. I, I really I don't think you can go wrong with any of your top three uh, that you guys put. I would also put Moxie and Suzuki in, in, in the running there too. Um, I thought that was a really, really good match as well that really fit this, uh, uh, you know, the criteria. Like you said, you, you know, I finished third, but I 
I might vote it number one, but nice. I can't I can't argue I can't argue with Taichi and Ibushi too. That was just like when you talk about like bravado and what strong style kind of encapsulates, like two men just deciding, and eh, fuck it, let's just kick each other for 20 <laughs> years. Like that, it pretty much is like the the dumb, just stupid, strong style, you know, it, dumb job. It does work pretty well with it. Yeah, it just it just works for that too. So there's a lot of really cool um uh choices here and, and a really good year for uh, despite everything that maybe wasn't great in New Japan this year, uh, you know, uh, the return of strong style in, in a lot of the ways, I think, was definitely one thing that happened. Yeah, I think there's a, an argument to be made for literally any of the matches here on this list. I 100% agree with that. Let's talk about uh, a category that's a little shorter in the or, you know, shorter in the tooth than normal, but uh, still strong when it comes to quality. The junior match of the year. Yeah, and so for people who might not know, our calendar year was November of 2019 to November of 2020, um, kind of the beginning of the, the World Tag League. So a lot of the best junior stuff is going to count on for next year's voting, which is why this um, this year's list is a little bit shorter than usual. So coming in third place, 307 points, we had Hiromu Takahashi versus Taiji Ishimori from Summer Struggle in Jingu. Coming in second place, 515 points, Hiromu Takahashi versus Ryo Lee from New Beginning in Osaka. And then coming in first place, 714 points, and the 2020 Junior Match of the Year, Will Ospreay versus Hiromu Takahashi from Wrestle Kingdom 14, Night 1. Yeah, that's a great pick. Yeah, that, that, that's your number one. I mean, I, I think it's unquestionably the number one. I think, you know, Hiromu and Lee, a really, really good match as well, and, and Hiromu and, and Ishimori. Uh, great matches as well. And your guys voting what, when just for, to clarify your voting criteria ended when like uh, what was the last it, date it, that you guys the beginning of tag league is always the start of the new year for us. Got it. Okay. It makes sense. Yeah. Cause that's one, one thing that I'm sure a lot of people would say is like, well, you know, where's Hiromu and like uh, Desperado. And I'm sure <laughs> that will be, uh, I mean, that's definitely the <laughs> the leader right now for, uh, for your next year's uh, award. But yeah, that was the first one that I was like, Oh my God, nobody voted for that one. And then realizing, Oh yeah, that's probably not where <laughs> you know <laughs> you guys are, are doing the voting. So right. uh, yeah, no, no, no. I think these three definitely um, work. And I think Will and, and Hiromu would be my unquestioned number one. Uh, in this category, shout out to the uh, ten people that who voted Rapungi three K versus Mega Coaches from New, <laughs> yeah, New Japan Road, or the six people that liked uh, that that remembered Cavernario and Carissimo, like that match rocked. Um, and normally we don't get any Fantascomania matches on the ballot, but like we literally had no junior matches. We're like. Cavernario Caristico, that works. That's a junior match. We'll, we'll throw it on there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah absolutely i mean the the interesting thing with the voting here is like you can look at how the point totals went and like the majority of people voted osprey hiromu number one the majority of number two votes went to really and hiromu and then you know the most third place votes went to hiromu and ishimori for jingu which again that kind of makes sense why hiromu won junior wrestler of the year because he was involved in all three of these top matches and yeah undoubtedly Osprey and Hiromu, that was a change, changing of the guard match. It was on the biggest stage. It was the best match of the juniors this year. And uh, I, I think it was kind of unquestionable that I was going to win here, except for, you know, the six people that liked Fantastic Mania <laughs> or, or the 10 that liked the Mega Coaches match. <laughs> well, uh, let's move on here to uh, Tag Team Match of the Year. This is a new category for this year. First time we're doing that. We just felt like we had a. Th- th- this was like a, a little bit of a. Uh, a passion project for me because I was like, you know what? Let's highlight some of these tag matches that really aren't going to get any sort of like 
a claim or anything. Right, and one, right. Yeah. And once I started going through it, I was like, you know what? They had a lot of low. They don't. I know that this company doesn't put a ton of emphasis on the actual tag division, but when it comes to how many tag team matches occur throughout the calendar year, it's a ton. Yeah, and, they have great tag wrestlers and great tag teams, so they just don't ever do anything with right. them. It's, it's, <laughs> right, it's really annoying and disappointing. And so we kind of went through, and uh, you know, we found what we felt were the ten best tag team matches of the year. Which um, I almost kind of hope people use this as like a guide. Uh, maybe they won't. Maybe I'm just spinning my wheels for no reason. But at least we have it for ourselves <laughs> later on as a reference. But uh, you know, these were the ten matches that we felt you know exemplified tag team wrestling in New Japan. Yeah, so coming in third place with 200 points, we had Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi versus Okada, Yano, and Sho from the Summer Struggle Tour. Coming in second place with 245 points, we had Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi versus Dangerous Techers and Doki from Road to Power Struggle. And then our winners and tag team match of the year with 549 points, Golden Ace versus Dangerous Techers from Dominion. There is a part of me that wonders, had we put the other Golden Ace Dangerous Techers match from, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah, Jingu Stadium's uh, Summer Struggle Show, if that would have cannibalized the votes here, which I think it might have. But in all fairness, when we, the way we tabulate this stuff, it just didn't deserve to be on the, the ballot with the other you know nine matches that we had here. Uh, I thought it was interesting to see how many people remembered the two uh yoshihashi you know six-man tags here that that got a lot of love um for me personally i think the match that i thought was the best tag team match all year was that new year's dash match with evil shingo against ishii and goto but i think just because it happened so long ago it sort of got forgotten yeah it's always tough with matches that happened that early in the year other than like wrestle kingdom obviously which will stay with people for a long time but yeah that that is a great match that honestly i probably forgot <laughs> to until i'm reading it you know through your guys list and be like yeah man that match uh fucking rocked as far as the, the the results i don't have any real like strong thought of what i would say my definitely like you know this is clearly my tag team match of the year i do love that the uh, yoshihachi matches did get some love the six mans because they, they definitely uh uh deserve it and and belong there especially i would say the one that came in number two is probably my favorite match the other uh, go to ishihashi versus Techers and, and, and Dookie uh, match from the Rota to Power Struggle, but uh, the Golden Ace Dangerous Techers, you know, match the, the one that did get the vote. I, I, I'm fine with that one as well. Um, I think there's a lot of really good choices, like, like you guys said. There, New Japan does have great tag matches and does have great tag teams and does have great tag wrestlers, but uh, it does stink that there's not like a definitive like this is the like they they have all the talent to have like this being unquestioned. This is the def- best tag team match of the entire year. They just always seem to choose not to do so. So it's it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and also I think the thing that helped out Golden Ace and Dangerous Checkers, it was on Dominion, one of the bigger shows of the year. You had the mega team of Abushi and Tanahashi coming together, and people you know, wanted them to retain and kind of have this long run. And also like, we saw it won the feud of the year, so people were really invested in this feud. And so it just had all the things going for it, and I could see that why people voted that over some of the six-man stuff or some of the other tag team matches that we had listed here. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about another passion project of ours, the uh, the excursion match of the year. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Josh on this because Josh does a really great job of compiling all the excursion matches that happen uh, throughout the year and watching them. And no, no, literally like you guys don't understand. I'm literally going on. (laughs) I go on cage match. I find any match that occurred outside of New Japan for anyone that that we consider 
well, this year the criteria we used is they had to have more than five matches in the company. You know, so that's why like there's no Jericho matches, but like Mox is still there. Plus, he had the title all year. Right. But, uh, and then we watched it. Then we watched the matches. <laughs> yeah. We watched. I mean, like I probably watched like 150 or something like matches, and we watched them all year. And then this year we narrowed it down to what we thought were like nine matches that we thought were above four and a quarter, basically. So. And I'm, yeah, and I'm excited to have Rich on for this because I know just listening to the flagship that you've watched. I think you pretty much watched everything that we have here on this list. I would say I'm going through the list right now. I think I had and actually the Warrior Wrestling match I was at the uh, the Chaos versus Rascals one. I was that at. match is um, awesome. Yeah, it is really really good. Yeah, that's Warrior Wrestling is not known. I mean, they're usually kind of a name promotion where they just book a bunch of names and the matches themselves usually don't deliver. But yeah. when you book those guys, like they were all just gonna like go out there and bust their ass and they <laughs> did it. That match is really, uh, really really good. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm looking at all these. I think I did see all these kind of in a weird uh, way. But yeah, there's a lot of really really cool stuff. Did you you didn't run these down right? No, let me. Let me do it okay, so let quick. me go. Let you, I'll let you do that. I want to steal your thunder there. So, uh, coming in third place, 284 points. We have John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston from AEW Full Gear. Coming in second place, 327 points. We had Ryu Lee versus Kenny Omega from AAA, Triple Mania, Regia. And then coming in first place with 465 points, Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. from Rev Pro High Stakes. That's that one probably belongs uh, on top. Uh, that that is a pretty high level. Great match. Uh, the, the 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 Lee versus Omega one for Triple Mania. I, I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, all definitely deserves some inclusion. And then, like I said, Chaos and Rascals. I was there live and just a really kick ass match uh, with a lot of really really cool shit. So I would say those ones and a lot of the RPW stuff. A lot of the the stuff that they did in their you know return the epic encounters. Not necessarily like great sort of like bell to bell in ring matches, but I mean they, they still were pretty fantastic. But like really cool story matches as well as you see Will you know slowly turning heel on this like tape show that was taped you know months before he actually turned <laughs> heel in Japan. It's just a really really cool like pro wrestling at its core is like this guy knowing he's going to turn heel in like two months so you know slowly but surely working like more of a dick as the matches go on and then like you know he has the match you know with Fletcher and he has a few matches later in Epic Encounters where he actually is working heel now uh, even though in real time he hadn't turned heel yet in New Japan. It's just like really awesome stuff that I love about pro wrestling so yeah, yeah I, it's, shout out to all of those matches. Yeah I absolutely loved the, the- Fletcher match from Epic Encounters 3 and just seeing, I hadn't really been paying attention to Red Pro that much, and then seeing Fletcher come back with all this size, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I man? know, it's hard to believe it's the same human being. I'm still not entirely sure that it is the same human being, because, like, yeah, that dude laid, like, 112 pounds last you saw him, and now he's, like, 215. It's yeah. like, what the hell? All like, this size, and he had this incredible hard-hitting match with Osprey. One match that I feel like if more people probably would have watched, would have yep. won, was Will Osprey versus Dowie James from um, MCW yep. Vendetta. That match was freaking incredible. Like, if you have not watched that match, you need to go out of your way to watch that. Like, Dowie James was absolutely incredible. He's a guy I feel like, you know, if it wasn't for pandemic, I think, you know, American Indies would be trying to book this guy. Maybe PWG would be seeing him. But yeah, that match was just absolutely blow away. Forget the American Indies and PWG. Uh, Triple H would have got him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, you know, every year, again, part of the reason we do this is just because a lot of the stuff people miss or that they're not as aware that it's out there. And so we kind of hope you guys will use this as a guide and be like, you know what? These matches are worth going to check out. So, you know, that's part of it. But uh, I agree with you, uh, Jeremy, the Osprey versus Dowie James. I voted that number one. It, it that, I thought that that was a five-star match, literally that good. Um, the funny thing, the match, if you were to go through the rank, like ratings out there on like cage match and grapple, 
people buried the shit out of this Osprey Fletcher match to the point that like I was like we should watch it, but it's probably not going to get on the list. And then <laughs> yeah, it's so and good. then like because they like people are rating it like it was a three star match, and then Jeremy watched it and he's like four and a half and I was, or four and a quarter or four and a half something like that and i was like bro are, are you sh-? i thought maybe because <laughs> like, did you watch the right match <laughs> <laughs> well i just know he really likes osprey so i was like you know i think jeremy has really good ratings and takes and stuff but i also was like maybe he's just incorrect on this one and he's like no bro trust me go watch it and then i watched it and i was like holy shit this is awesome <laughs> yeah there was no way i i, I think on grapple it was like three and a half or lower like three and a quarter i was like there's no way like if you watch that <laughs> match like there's no way that it should be anywhere in a three-star territory minimum four stars but yeah that that match was just was great uh, another match that's on here that didn't get a lot of love but i feel like people need to see it uh is eagles versus panzer from uh the philippines that match from pwr is really really good it's really cool because it reminds me a lot of like when osprey went to uh to Australia and kind of put Eagles on for the first time at PWA. And he was like the outside star, like traveling and like kind of giving the, the top, you know, um, domestic guy a shot. That's kind of what this was. It was, you know, Eagles being established, going over there to this like burgeoning um, independent scene and giving one of the top stars there that most people haven't heard of, but I think one day maybe they will in Chris Panzer and just having an awesome blow away main event that like, really impressed me and uh i wasn't expecting much from it i just it just like was a little diamond in the rough so um last thing i'll say osprey versus saber definitely deserves to win this um you know just because it's it was it had a lot of notoriety it had a lot of eyes and attention on it and it was a fantastic match and really fit into the feud that they were having that started in new japan but um I'm kind of glad this one as well because the last two years we did this. The first year, Omega and um, Pentagon won. And I didn't think it deserved to win. I just thought it was the match that most people saw. And then the year after that, it was Omega and Mox, and they barely won. And I just felt like it was the match that most people saw. But here, I think that people voted for this one because it actually was something that they all felt like, oh, wow, that like was blow away. Yeah, I was almost surprised that one of the AEW matches didn't get more votes like the Moxley or Brody or Moxley at Kingston. I was expecting one of those to maybe do a little bit higher than it, than they did. But yeah, I'm glad. That That's that, what I'm getting at. I'm yeah. glad that, that they, I thought those matches ruled, but I'm glad that this match won because I clearly thought it was better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then moving on now to the angle of the year. Coming in third place, 327 points. We had Minoru Suzuki attacking John Moxley, Wrestle Kingdom 14. Coming in second place, 437 points. We had Kenta attacking Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 14. And then coming in first place in our winner for 2020 Angle of the Year, 572 points. Evil joining the Bullet Club. I won't spend a lot of time talking about the angles this year because for the most part, it was just a lot of people getting jumped, a lot of heat. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the one that I think resonated for everybody because it was so unexpected, it was something that when it occurred and you sort of looked at the little breadcrumbs they're giving us all throughout the uh, new Japan cup leading into it, it made a lot of sense and it had the most ramifications down the line for the heavyweight title scene uh, for better or for worse uh, was evil turning on Tetsuya Naito joining the bullet club and going, you know, totally evil. And uh, as you know, as his name implies and uh, yeah, I mean, that has to be the biggest moment in, 
in terms of stories or angles for the entire year in New Japan. Yeah. Anybody, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jeremy. Yeah. Anybody who listens to our show knows that we have not been big fans of evil and the matches and the push. Um, but when you just isolate the, the actual moment of Naito coming out after evil beats Okada uh, and then turning the fist bump in the two sweet, hitting him with everything is evil. Like that one singular moment was it was pretty cool and just like that the oh, yeah. moment of the year and it's like oh wow like i never expected that evil would be the guy that would turn and kind of you know do his own thing and so that singular moment in itself was pretty awesome definitely like the angle that resonated throughout the year no i think there's no question that 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 deserves to be you know uh, atop the list i think that is the most important angle and it was yeah if you just ignore everything that happened afterwards or you just choose to like kind of think of it like in it like in the in the very definition of what was the best angle of the year it's that it, it's clearly evil turning on naito but uh, i will also say that it would have been a tough vote for me uh kenta coming out there and just spoiling the wrestle kingdom you know celebration uh was like tremendous heat as well it just we didn't know that the rest of the year like you said would just be you know heat 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 but like that was they do not do that they usually do not spoil moments like that but they chose to do no. it in this moment and it made it just a really really like oh my god like it was shocking when it was done that kenta came out there and, and, and did that but uh yeah so it was a good year i think for a lot of those but like i i, I think you nailed it there by saying that it ended up kind of feeling like a lot of the segments and the heat was kind of all the same it was kind of every angle kind of ended up being the same but but definitely evil and and, and definitely kind of coming out i think uh, uh stand above uh, uh, the rest well one shout out i will give um i know i said i wouldn't do it but i'm gonna do it anyways suzuki attacking mox uh when we did the preview show rich latta was on the show and he kind of specified that he thought that this should be the angle of the year because he talked about the the crowd reaction to the moment how like it was so unexpected and people were angry at the time because they're like, you know, another year Suzuki isn't on the show, has nothing to do, you know, yada, yada. And then suddenly like Mox wins his, you know, his match. What was it over juice? Right. Yeah. Yeah. He beats juice. And then suddenly you hear like, and everyone's like, Oh my God. And then he came out and he takes off the tracksuit and he's in like full gear. And you're like, Oh my God. And like people, we, we marked out for that. So, um, I'm kind of glad that a lot of people remembered that and, you know, that got a, a good, you know, dose of love as well. Yeah. One of our listeners was actually like in the bathroom when Suzuki's music played and like, <laughs> did, like, awesome. did, like, did, like <laughs> did like full sprint back to his seat while you hear Suzuki's music. Uh, That's funny. I want to just give a shout out to something that probably might've done better, but it's attached to Will Ospreay, the, the great Okan. Uh, making his debut in yeah. New Japan oh, yeah, yeah. and helping Osprey beat Okada and kind of the, the formation of the Empire. I thought that was a pretty cool angle there. I mean, there was no really signs or rumors of Okan coming back, and there was no signs of Osprey really turning heel for the most part. And so I thought that was a pretty— I mean, I, I knew about it. My sources had told me about it, but I just <laughs> didn't share them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Those Matt Seidel sources, right? Yeah, Matt, Matt. No, it's not. I, it's not Matt. Come on. <laughs> All right. So our last category here, the news story of the year. Coming in third place with 324 points, Harold May <laughs> resigning and the, the introduction of the, the new president. Coming in second place with 425 points, New Japan shutting down due to COVID. And then coming in first place with 599 points, the 2020 news story of the year. Biggest story of the year. 
<laughs> Naito being the first double champion. I'm 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 a little like of all the the ones like the new story that you're supposed to be the one thing that's the most rooted in reality and like actual prevalent news. And like, maybe we shouldn't have thrown Naito being on there, but we're like, that was pretty historic. It deserves a mention. Never in a million years did I think it would be new Japan shutting down due to global pandemic, new Japan, <laughs> new Japan losing their access TV deal, <laughs> new Japan losing their president. Like these all s- sounded like real, like, pressing like news stories and then like i don't know man naito winning the, the that double gold that's really I, I, it's a, it's historic i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no it's definitely and, and and one thing that i think a lot of people underrate is just how important that access deal and losing yes, that was yeah. I mean, we talk about it on our show yeah. a lot. people there's a lot of people that are, are, are really in the bubble of, of new japan and really just kind of talk to like other hardcore new japan fans that don't realize how many people watch that show via access tv how many people found out about new japan for wrestling via access tv and i think that played a huge role in in, in what i've seen and I'm, I'm sure you guys have as well is is a lot less interest in the west and in, in new japan in, in, in this you know 2020 and there's yes. a lot of there's probably a lot of reasons a lot of reasons why that's happening and, and obviously there's no crowds pandemic and all that sort of stuff evil whatever you want to say there's a lot of things that came in but i really do think that that you know despite being a pretty you know kind of low-key thing that maybe people don't you know put on, on on a real high pedestal as being a big important part i think is something that you, you know absolutely is because you know like and, and i'm not saying it's solely because of access obviously there are many many things but like there's no they were going to do that msg show this year like i really don't think that would have gone well like i would not have have done nearly what it was going to do if like uh, a the elite was there and, and and b if that access deal was there i really do think that's a way more important the de- uh, deal uh than people give credit to and 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 at the same breath i think harold may uh, as well resigning is a pretty big deal as well because that you know that that did to me at least spoke to maybe a little less emphasis on America moving forward. We don't know. We'll see what 2021 brings in, but that could be a, tr- a pretty big change in, in, in how they're going to approach, uh, you know, expansion, global expansion and, 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 and domestic business, you know, moving forward too. So I mean, those are big things. Those are, like you said, there's a, a pandemic you're, <laughs> and like you lose your major TV deal in the United States, but it's like, yeah, nice to win some belts. That's, you know, <laughs> it, it is pretty well, fun. But. One thing that's interesting since you mentioned the Harold May and the, uh, u.s stuff everything that they ended up actually doing when it came to the u.s was completely opposite of what he had initially said right they were right right with. right he was like he was like we're not gonna do more tours we're not going back over there we're gonna expand our television deals we're going to find ways to expand our audience without ex you know uh the the added cost of having to travel overseas and then they lost the TV deal and increased the amount of like overseas touring. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Then they pulled the right. map out. <laughs> yeah. Then they pulled the map out. It was like, what, the, what in the world? But um, yeah, I, I think for me, new Japan shutting down due to COVID and then them, the way they handled the COVID, um, you know, pandemic to me, like no, nothing else that happened this year in the news. I mean, it was unprecedented, but then B, the way it directly affected their business, the way it affected everything else, I thought that that was just the most important thing, especially since like they're one of the few companies that you can well, not few, but like out of all the companies out there, like universally, people have praised New Japan and how they handled mm-hmm. the entire situation. And um, 
Yeah, it still got second place, but like it's still lost by almost 200 points, <laughs> 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 which is like, I don't know, man, that one's a little mind boggling. Yeah, um, it's pretty crazy. And, and, and I think one of the things, you know, them, you know, obviously not running shows for a while, completely shutting down more so than really any other company. Most other companies either uh, came back as, as quickly as they could or came back because they had to, you know, New Japan saying, no, we're not going to run until things are a little bit better. And then when realizing, well, fuck, things are not going to get much better. Let's just come yeah. back. But then also doing it, I think, of, of the companies, I think they've done an incredible job of sort of adjusting. Um, it's not all been great. I mean, obviously, the, 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 you know, there's some issues. But I think in terms of safety, in terms of telling fans, hey, come here, don't cheer, clap, make sure you're respectful or whatever, do that sort of stuff. Uh, let's keep the shows to a minimum. I mean, they've completely transformed their booking. Like, they do not fill the undercard with a bunch of random tag matches, and they try to get as few people on the show uh, as possible. They've kept the show shorter. They're now around, like, two and a half hours as opposed to they were getting to, like, you know, four, four and a half uh, there for a while as well. And then you saw, like, you know, in the brief moments where, like, Minor, what was it, Minoru Suzuki, right? Like, potentially had a, a fever, so they, like, right, took him yeah. off. So, you know, they, they've been reacting, and they're, they're not – they're putting it, it feels like uh, – more so than a lot of other wrestling companies, uh, putting health and safety and, 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 you know, listening to doctors as opposed to just saying, well, fuck it. Who cares? We need to, you know, run wrestling shows. So, yeah. Well, one last thing I'll throw out there. Um, one thing I'm speculating on is we've, we had more people vote this year than we've ever had vote before, but with the undeniable fact that new Japan has lost some of its traction here in the West. And then, I'm assuming the truth of the matter is a lot of those New Japan fans that that were enamored with New Japan, a lot of them were enamored with the Bullet Club and with the Elite and different you know performers that have gone on to work for AEW. So no, I'm no wondering, doubt. I'm wondering how much that's also kind of affected our idea of of how the awards would actually turn out. Like maybe there is this exodus of fans here in the West, and maybe what was left was maybe a more pro elitist mindset sort of fan. Um, I don't know if that, and I don't say that to disparage anybody at all, because this has definitely been eye opening um, awards for me, definitely. But uh, it does make me wonder if that's affected how these votes would have gone had say new Japan worked with AEW this year or something like that, you know? Right. No, I think you're absolutely on it. I, I think there's totally a different, you know, dynamic of, of, of fan bases. And and I think we can, you know, at least I know from our website, we can definitely look at the numbers and see that that a lot of those fans that were getting that alternative from New Japan Pro Wrestling have now decided their alternative is going to be AEW, whether it be, be because of the Bucks or Omega or it's just easier because it's on American television. It's on, you know, it's it's on Wednesdays in prime time and I don't have to seek out like this other website. I don't have to wake up at 3 a.m. And it, like access wise, it's a lot easier, you know, like for lack of a better term, you know, in, in both ways, uh, both not, you know, Having, having you know access and, and and you know all that sort of stuff with uh, New Japan versus AEW, so I think there's, it's clear that there are definitely contingency of fans uh, that were New Japan fans that were watching New Japan for that alternative that now have decided that AEW is that alternative, and whether that holds forever or if it's just because you know a lot of people are saying, well, is it because of evil because of this? And I don't think there's any one reason for it. I think it maybe would have happened no matter what this year. Uh, given the the inclusion of AEW, but I'm very curious to see how 2021 goes. If uh, those fans do come back, uh, if those you know Western fans in New Japan do come back, or if, like you said, Joshua, it, it becomes a little bit more of just sort of hardcore Puro fans that are are, are your New Japan fans and your kind of casual American fans uh, and, and I, found an alternative in AEW. And I think what I'm kind of getting at is like it felt like in the West the two biggest New Japan names were Naito and o- Omega, and Omega's gone, sure. and maybe that, and maybe that's why we've seen like this the, the increase rise. in. <laughs> Yeah, like the rise <laughs> of like Naito. Um, but it was definitely his year. And I mean, that's reflected here. 
Yeah, and two things I just want to follow up real quickly on, Richard, your point on the Access TV deal. The thing that I hear from a lot of hardcore New Japan fans, it's like, oh, they're just, they're just showing, like, matches I already saw. And like, Oh, you, yes. I think what people didn't realize, like, the value of showing back those big matches, because there are, believe it or not, a lot of wrestling fans don't, don't watch New Japan or maybe don't <laughs> right. don't watch all the matches from the tours. They might miss, like, the IC title match or the Never title match. And Axis was showing like, all those big title matches and showing you those story of, like, Okada and Tanahashi. And so, yeah, I definitely think the Access TV deal is very undervalued. And, like, the hardcore New Japan fans are like, well, I have New Japan World. Like, I'm going to w- wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> and watch it regardless. Like, why do I need them to replay, you know, Okada yeah, Tanahashi? It's not for you, you dummy. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's for the yeah the people that and, – and, and, like, think of, of if you'd never watched New Japan ever, that Access show was like, here's incredible match after incredible. Every single week was, like, a fucking incre- – like, you didn't have to deal with undercards. You didn't have to deal with intermissions. You didn't have to deal with a match that didn't – it was just like, hey, here's every great match that we've had over the last, you know, five years here you go (laughs) you know done with you know familiar voices that you may have known i mean it was a tremendous show like it was like i never watched it because why i I already like you said i already watched all that stuff but it wasn't for uh, a rich creature or joe lands or or, you know a jeremy or joshua it wasn't for us it was for those fans that that are casual and those fans are the ones that really matter in 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 terms of the box office those are the fans that were buying tickets to msg those are the fans that make you from you you know become the number two company really I, i i think they legit were there you know the number two company in america those fans make you that it not you know not no offense to us but like you know the hardcores of the hardcores they're not the right ones. what really drives the business is those casual fans that you never hear from that never vote for awards that never, i mean those people that are kind of in the underground that, that are watching and are doing stuff i mean those are the fans that really drive business more so than well, i think a lot of people give credit for well the one thing that they have an advantage with when it comes to that type of show which uh, it, for my money they should never show what they're doing with new japan strong on television if they were to ever get a tv deal because it would be death uh it would it would suck to be doing the same product that six other companies are doing but do it shittier um you know what they're the advantage they have is that we've seen when aw or wwe try to showcase you know uh matches that happen in the past the numbers drop and die but New Japan has the unique advantage where they're able to do that and they will draw bigger numbers off of it because most people don't have access to it and they've never seen it. And so if they were to actually just do the same show that they were doing on Access before, for all the people that don't have New Japan World and don't know how to watch the show, they would actually do really, really big numbers when most other companies don't have the luxury to be able to do that. They have to go out and pr- produce no- new television every single week. And like New Japan literally doesn't have to. They could just show what they've been doing and they would make more money for a TV station. I, I just don't know where that right home is for them. Yeah. Right. I think you're on it. And the, one of the thing with, with the COVID, I know it got second place, but probably why I didn't get first. I know just in general, a lot of people are just tired of talking, tired of uh, talking about COVID and tired of the pandemic. And we're probably looking for like a positive kind of silver lining of this year to vote for. And that's why I think probably, you know, Naito being the first double champion, it was definitely one of the, the positive things on this list and I can see why, you know, people who are just tired of COVID and the pandemic and hearing about everything wanted to go with that to kind of not have to think about COVID. Well, if they wanted a silver line, they should put down KOPW. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a feeling that the one person that voted for it as number one might be my girlfriend. I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, that's going to do it for the 2020 New Japan year end awards for keeping it strong style. Um, 
Rich, thank you so much for being here. To uh, this is fun. This is great. And, and and we hit our time. We are professionals. You are nice job on doing that. Yeah, did not go too long here, so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, man, want to get you in and out. We know you got you got a rush and watch TLC, right? Oh my God, yeah, geez, I've, I've missed so much already. I've missed, um, yeah, you know, it's the, the ladder matches that happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, another I'm ladder match. Anything else? Yeah, I'm gonna do. Yeah, there two more, two more to finish up the year that had I think 27 or something ladder match, some ridiculous uh, total. But no, I uh, I don't think I'll be watching uh, tables, ladders, and chairs. But we'll see. <laughs> Well, uh, Rich, go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you online and what projects you have coming up with Voices of Wrestling. Yeah, so uh, uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com, of course. I, uh, I'm the co-host of the Voice Wrestling flagship podcast. We record uh, every Wednesday uh, or Thursday, mostly Thursdays. Sometimes we have to do Wednesdays. Uh, that appears on the Voice of Wrestling podcast network, which has uh, plenty of other stuff uh, as well, wrestling uh, uh, podcasts about uh, every topic you can possibly want, the music of wrestling, you know, Pro, uh, American wrestling, you know, the indies, AEW. I mean, we, got it, we got it all there on the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network. But, uh, yeah, I'm co-host of the Voice Wrestling Flagship. Uh, we also do a lot of content on uh, Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. We have a $1, $2, uh, and $5 tiers. So there's a, a good tier. Or sorry, $1, $5, and $10 tier. Sorry about that. Uh, where we have some uh, uh, great content on each. The $10 tier, all our live stuff. We do, like, live instant reactions after big shows. Not TLC. We will not be doing instant reactions <laughs> TLC. Obviously, given that I'm doing this with you guys instead of watching fucking TLC. But, uh, yeah, with the major shows that people care about, like, AEW shows, big New Japan shows, Wrestle Kingdoms, uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we're going to make those pretty uh, important on uh, on the instant reaction. And we do live flagships as well. So if you want to listen to the flagship live every week, uh, you can do that on the $10 tier. On the $5 tier, we have a lot of retro content as well. Uh, we also have Joe's Thursday Tea reviews. Every Thursday, he reviews uh, AEW and breaks down the ratings. Uh, I do retro kind of series based off the time. Like I just got done doing a uh, Best of the Super Junior series, or I'm in the midst of doing a Best of the Super Junior series uh, right now. And I'll move on to maybe Royal Rumble and some other stuff. Uh, here as january goes on but uh, the most important thing and the most uh, relevant thing to i think your listeners uh the voice of wrestling new japan year in review ebook every year for the last i think seven years now which seems ungodly ridiculous we've been doing these for seven years now uh we do a, a year in review ebook that is ungodly amount of of, of pages ungodly amount of words uh it has wrestler profiles about every single wrestler that stepped foot in a new japan uh pro wrestling ring it's got detailed statistics who i believe a uh, guy you're going to talk to uh pretty soon here chris samson i think in the next week or so uh, you guys are having him so we have all of his stats in there uh as well extensive breakdowns extensive reviews really really cool essays as well including i'm just gonna say i'll let you plug yourself but i believe there is somebody that is on the line right here who has an essay that appears uh in this ebook this year but there's all that great stuff in there um really really cool stuff i said reviews essays we talk about fantastic mania we talk about everything that went on in new japan for wrestling uh throughout the year and a nice little thing that i can finally announced thankfully it's, it was kind of hard getting it all together we were kind of hoping that it was going to happen but it did eventually happen uh we have the introduction the foreword of the book uh written by john moxley well. oh yeah, wow yeah it was it wasn't easy it was it was tough it, getting to john moxley is about as hard as you would assume uh getting to john moxley <laughs> was but we were eventually able to get in there and uh yeah i'm really excited and it's the profile is exactly what like if you if you for a second doubt that the John Mox that you see in New Japan or the John Mox you see in AEW or not the John Mox you saw in, <laughs> or the, the Dean Ambrose you saw in, like what he is on TV is I think exactly what he is in real life because every email correspondence I had, every discussion I had was exactly what you would hope. I can't uh, even John picture I can't even like, picture yeah. Mox sending an email. 
Yo, yeah, the, the, it was not. I mean, there was never a subject. Uh, he re- <laughs> replied to like random things. At one point, he was like, you know, hey, when do you want me to send you this? And I was like, ah, anytime in the next few weeks. He's like, all right, cool. Remind me. So in the next few weeks, I reminded him and he said, ah, shit, I forgot. Uh, give me a few days. And then like 10 minutes later, he goes, ah, here you go. Here it is. It's great. I mean, the first line is I had never even heard of Voices of Wrestling before these guys asked me. So um, it's That's awesome. it, is, it is. It is unbelievable. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are excited uh, to read that. So really, really good stuff. As I said, essays, uh, the introduction by John Moxley, stats, uh, reviews, wrestler profiles, tag team profiles, uh, championship history, subtle histories. There's a bunch of different stuff. Uh, all the information of that will be up at uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com. The uh, the plan is the last week of December or the first few days of January. You never know. We're ahead of the game right now, but things can go awry really quickly. So we'll see uh, where things go. Especially, it's very. I mean, we're so dumb by trying to do this like this month of all time, like during <laughs> Christmas. I'm trying to you know squeeze this in, but why not? You know, Wrestle Kingdom's coming up, so that's why we try to uh, do it during there. But we have uh, two price tiers uh, as well for that. Uh, we have a name your own price uh, that will be available at VoicesWrestling.com. So if you want to download it for free, you can absolutely download it for free. Uh, but we will say that any amount of money that you give is definitely appreciated because the money made uh, from the book is split among the contributors so uh, we have a lot of people that will download it for free and then go back and say oh shit this is really good i want to give you guys five bucks ten bucks i'd recommend ten thousand dollars but you know or a thousand dollars whatever you know whatever value you want to put on a hundred thousand that's fine too we'll, we'll definitely take it but uh all the money made will be contributed among the uh or the uh split between the contributors for the book or we also have it available on the amazon kindle store as well and that will be for a set price like 5.99 uh then it'll go right to your kindle uh and be good there so yeah you can download it for free if you want you can do name your own price or you can uh, get it for a set price uh, on the Amazon Kindle store. But uh, yeah, really excited for this book this year. Uh, it is what I will say, what's fun about this book. Um, the past few years have really been kind of like a love letter to New Japan for wrestling and rightfully so. I mean, it's been an incredible company uh, for a long time this year, though. It's a lot of fun. Like I was initially saying, ah, oh, geez, I'm not going to like doing this one because I don't love, you know, I, I haven't loved everything that New Japan's done this year. But I think that's actually made it a very interesting book. Like we have essays that, you know, one essay will talk about how great evil's been. And the next essay will be like, evil fucking sucks. I hate evil. Like, so it's really oh, cool. Like, I it, should it, write one. Yeah, there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty of time. If you can get it in the next week, you are, you are allowed, sir. You got five days to get it in. But uh, no, it is, it is awesome to watch like the the different every essay that comes in is like contradicting the the prior essay and that's really what's cool about this book is it doesn't feel like everyone's in lockstep it feels like every page you turn there's like this person's putting this guy over and this person's like hey you know i don't like this guy this guy you know and so it's made a really cool book that you're in a really interesting and different book this year so I'm, I'm you guys are playing a dangerous out. game you're gonna start a lot of feuds <laughs> oh that's fine ah, you know what we've done it before we'll we'll do it again we'll survive yeah i'm really have looking guys, for- have you guys heard of the orange crush art uh journal Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just literally, as you were t- telling me that, I just figured I'd bring it up. They um, revealed their uh, – and it's a black and white photo of John Moxley smoking a cigarette. You guys can see it right here. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's like it, – it, I guess it's kind of cool that this guy's willing to like do little things like this to kind of just like help the fan base, which I'm sure he couldn't do you know, in his E days. So um, – yeah, that's really cool. But we will definitely be plugging your guys' uh, project. Um, Great. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Very, you know. ex- very excited about the the year and ebook. And yeah, like Rich mentioned, I will be contributing again. I contributed last year. Looking forward to contributing again. I got to finish up my essay here in the next couple of days and get that over to you rich uh but yeah the ebook is great so if you guys have never checked out one of the ebooks before definitely go out and check out you can check out the previous years are all available for download as well yep. um, buy those years they're awesome too yeah and uh, i am a ten dollar um patreoner 
for the Voices of Wrestling, and I can tell you all the content they're doing behind the paywall. It's absolutely great. So if you're you know never done a Patreon or you know looking for extra content, you know Rich and Joe are pumping out the content, and do some great stuff there behind their paywall. So definitely go and check that out. Thank awesome. you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Rich. We appreciate you being here, man. Well, it was great having uh, Rich Krejci on to uh, break down the. Uh, the awards and announce this year's awards uh, before we move on to talk about road to Tokyo Dome. We did have a question here from Rich Latta asking, what was the most surprising thing about this year's awards? Yes. And I'd like to say um, this is definitely happening minutes after our live <laughs> interview with Rich Krejci. This is definitely not two days later. I mean, clearly they're, they're not going to be able to tell at all. <laughs> Um, so what was, what was Rich Lattice's question? What was the most surprising thing about this year's awards? Oh, um, hmm. That is a great question. I think, um, I think for me to be honest, I think it was wrestler of the year. Um, and, and it's not that as we kind of discussed on the, ep, you know, on, uh, just a few moments ago with Rich. <laughs> um, there's definitely an argument to be made for Naito to have one. And I definitely thought he was going to get votes. And I definitely thought, you know, that there would be a contingency of people that would were voting for him. But um, I didn't expect the overwhelming support. Um, and we, I think we also did a really great job not to... <laughs> you know, pat ourselves on the backs the whole time that I'm like giving my answer. But uh, when we did the, um, the preview episode with Rich Lada, we talked about his drawing ability. We talked about his status as being the top guy in the company, you know, him dominating the world title scene, having a strong G1. Those are all great things. And though, you know, um, but the biggest detriment to me and I, and it's just the main thing. And I, I hate to be that guy, but like he just didn't measure up in ring even close to a good majority of the top candidates, namely Ishii, Shingo, Suzuki, and uh, Abushi. And even if you can point to his two best matches of the year, which were definitely the January 4th Okada match and then the first night of B Block against Tanahashi. Um, the rest of the year really pales in comparison to like the 17 or 18 matches Shingo or Ishii had, you know, on the, <laughs> on, right. on the ratings boards. But everyone's different, you know. That's just uh, for it, it is kind of like what uh, Rich was saying. Uh, Rich Krejci, you know, sometimes the guy with the best story isn't necessarily the best player. Um, I just think it's a it is a big discrepancy in terms of match quality. Uh, between him and those four names I named, and you could even probably throw Hiromu in there. Um, and generally speaking, when I think of the wrestler of the year, I put a lot of, especially in New Japan because it's such a in ring centric product. I put a lot of emphasis on the actual in ring uh, presentation. But we kind of knew this going in. It's what we talked about, right? Especially when you look back at the history of our, our awards last year, Will Ospreay won it. Twenty eighteen, Kenny Omega won it. Twenty seventeen, it was Kazuchika Okada. Like all those are definitely you know the best in ring guys that year. They were like the top performers in the year, while also having done great business, having been the focal point in you know the stories and the so 
those were like slam dunk guys. And like we talked about, there wasn't a slam dunk guy. Was there anything that was very surprising for you? Uh, was it the same thing as me or is it something else? So that that was kind of surprising wrestler of the year, but I, I understand why it went that way. The thing that really surprised me, like we talked about with Rich Krage, was new story of the year. You had a lot of, and I, and I know we could probably be partially blamed to that for how we set it up. You know, you had a mix of kayfabe things and real life things, but they're but, all they're all valid news stories, right? And and the fact that Naito winning, being the double champion, was bigger than you know New Japan having to shut down for months, not knowing when it was going to come back, and just how they handled the I, pandemic. Um, I agree. I think the biggest thing is like we. I think we we're both also a little surprised at Fighting Spirit. But, yeah, but with fighting spirit, there is an element of kayfabe, right? That's why, yeah, I was more surprised about the new story than I was uh, fighting spirit. And it's not even that that's like a, you know, the most prestigious award or anything, right? Um, if we had tiers of awards, I'd call it a B award. Uh, but it was surprising that it was not like, you know, the COVID shutdown or some of the other things we mentioned, <laughs> right? So yeah, those those were kind of like big surprises. Uh, one other big surprise to me. Um, and I guess it, the way it shook out, it makes sense, but I was disappointed. Suzuki getting no real awards this year for, mm. the, for the run that he went on. And I, at one point, I was like, you know, he was in the best feuds all year. He has a collection of matches that stack right up against, you know, Shingo and Ishii and Kota Ibushi. Especially in the strong style division, I thought he was going to be strong style fighter of the year. He, it was close. He was really close. I also thought like he might win Fighting Spirit Award just based off the work he did and his mm. popularity. And nope, uh, yeah, I was just and he didn't even win, um, you know, strong style fight of the year, which I I didn't think he should. But I'm just surprised he he was a candidate in so many different things and he, he, didn't, he yeah. didn't get anything. Feud of the year with Shingo. I, th- I thought he should have – I thought that was a lock, at least. I thought that they were going to win Feud of the Year. And, I mean, if you look at the feuds he had, I mean, him and Mox, him and Shingo, him and Nagata, he was in, like, um, three of the most prominent feuds of the whole, of the whole year. Uh, yeah, I was just really surprised by that one also. Yeah, so, yeah, some some interesting results there. But, overall, happy with you guys coming out and voting. Were you, were you surprised Ishii came in third for Strong Style Wrestler of the Year? Carl Gotch? Um, it's a it's a surprise, but also not a surprise at the same time. Just because Shingo has had an incredible year. And Shingo was not in the junior division this year. And he was having these hot battles with Goto and Suzuki and, and Ishii and... Uh, I just think Shingo's popularity just really it shows here. I will say this: I like Shingo a lot. I know a lot of people do. Give me Ishii all day. I know he's older. I know he's more ring worn. I I am a I'm an Ishii guy over a Shingo guy. Mm. You don't have to be one or the other. I'm I'm a little of both, but I'm a little bit more Ishii than I am Shingo. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like both of them. I don't know if I would I could just pick one of them. Well, I said uh, I like both. I know, but you, you pick one over the other. Oh, I could pick. That's because I'm a I'm a decisive man. You, you got a favorite child? Absolutely. Every, <laughs> don't don't let your parents lie to you. They all have a favorite child. Oh, trust me, I know. My my brother is, is the favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, the favorite. Uh, must must be a Josh thing because my brother's name is Josh. Also. <laughs> all right. So what's next? 
Uh, so now we're going to move on to talk about Road to Tokyo Dome. And we had a question here from our user PSAN91 saying, Is it just me, or did the most recent Road to shows feel like glorified house shows? We usually get at least one banger tag match on these shows, but this year it has felt very by-the-numbers New Japan multi-man matches so far. Well, as long as we get the snow on the last day of the tour, then all is good with the world. <laughs> uh, I concur about the snow, um, but I don't, I don't know if we're going to get it. I mean, I'm, we usually get it. Right. And I'm sure by the time most of you guys are hearing that, that this shit, the third Roti show, the final Roti show will have aired. So you, either you're listening to this first or you saw that first. But regardless, yeah, so obviously we're recording this ahead of time, so we're not, we don't know if the snow is going to fall or not. But I would, I would think so. Do you feel like I mean so Abushi the the main event on the last night Naito and Abushi or Naito and Bushi versus Ibushi and Show I'm like are is it going to be like Lij standing under the snow as it falls is it going to be Abushi and Show that kind of sounds weird I don't know yeah either, either combo it, it does seem kind of weird uh, I mean they they might. <sighs> Because, you know, there's been a lot of pin eaters where I, I thought we're going to eat pins, and we'll talk about it as we run through the results. So it's not a lock that Bushi is getting pinned here. Like, Naito could easily pin show, And so they could end the tour with the double champion doing the snow celebration. Um, but then they could also end, end it with a Bushi pinning Bushi and ending with the snow. I guess it's just how they want to leave us. Because either way, they're both bait faces. It's going to be a feel-good moment. But I'm wondering if... The winner is going to give away like who's not winning at the dome. Well, by the time this episode drops, everyone will probably already know because th- this is happening in just a few hours, basically. Right. So yeah, that's going to be interesting. Um, I do agree, though. I think that these uh, Road Two shows are kind of glorified house shows. I mean, they're Road Two shows, and um. You know, there's road two shows and then there's road two shows. You know, there's your your standard ones that you see along like the road to New Beginning, road to Dantaku, road to Power Struggle, and you know you don't get much on those tours except every once in a while. But then when you have like road to Tokyo Dome, generally speaking, um, in years past we've had really good preview matches with entire- Golden Lovers versus Osprey and Tanahashi. Yeah, that's that's an example of one. I mean, I. There's a bunch that I could probably think of, but like there's been a lot of really intriguing sort of matchups that are not by the numbers. They're sort of your uh, your last push to the dome, um, and so you usually get a lot of really cool story elements. But these shows have felt like just your standard middle of May road to shows, and. It, it doesn't feel like we're getting ready for a big Tokyo Dome show when I'm watching these. And I'm, you know, I'm not getting the same kind of story elements, twists. They're just, reg- it's just regular build. Right. Yeah, it's very by the numbers, Road 2 style. There's not these, you know, big kind of tag matches that we would normally get on these Road to Tokyo Dome shows. There, now, there have been some story elements, and I guess, Jeremy, you could take us through everything here. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I think part of the problem here is, you know, the last tour that we were on was Tag League and Super Juniors, and very little of that had much to do with what's going on in the Tokyo Dome. You know, we're talking about, what, like four weeks, five, six weeks, something like that. And then you get three, 
you know, less half of a week, basically uh, three shows back to back to back to prepare for the dome. That doesn't seem like the best way to like really, you know, if this is your quote unquote go home, it's a very weak go home for the biggest show of the year. Yeah, so let's uh, take a look at some of the results that happened on Monday's show and today's show, and then we'll run the card down again for tomorrow's show. So on Monday, December 21st, it opened up. We had Satoshi Kojima teaming up with a returning Tiger Mask and a returning Togi Makabe to defeat Gabriel Kidd, Yodosuji, and Yu Yamura. So obviously kind of the big story there was mainly, even though Makabe was back, it was mainly Tiger Mask being back uh, after they won the match. He was kind of gave like a... I think he had diverticulitis. Yeah, he did. Um, and so he kind of, he battled the crowd afterwards and it was kind of like a special moment and... Um, also, I didn't have English commentary, but I assume that the Japanese announcers were kind of hyping up Tiger Mask and him being back. So that, that was the main story there. Um, then moving on to the second match, we had Juice Robinson and Toa Hanare defeating the Bullet Club team of Kenta and Yujiro Takahashi. Uh, main story here, um, Juice wanting, A, wanting revenge on Kenta for costing them the World Tag League Finals, and then B, wanting the, the briefcase and a, a shot of the U.S. title. So Juice pinned Yujiro uh, here to set up uh, the win here and him challenging Kenta for the briefcase, which you would see play out throughout this tour. The funny thing with that is, uh, <laughs> you know, um, people have made jokes about, like, Naito not being able to come off that white belt. What about Juice in this red belt, man? Like, he's stuck with that shit forever. Forever. Also, um, it looks like Dave Finley may or may may not be in the country. I mean, we, we he's not on any of these tours. And, I mean, that kind of sucks after, like, all the the good work he did during World Tag League and every, all the work he's done on Strong and everything like that. And then for them to be like, all right, kid, here's your ticket. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> Man's going to get ready for a Strong Kingdom. Oh. <gasps> Are they doing that? No. <laughs> oh, well, at least not yet. Strong Kingdom. Bro, whoever... It, Whoever's listening that's uh, from the New Japan, you know, U.S. contingency, do not do Strong Kingdom. It's not a good look. <laughs> uh, so third match of the evening, we had Tenzan, Master Wato, and Rishi Taguchi defeating the Sugigun team of El Desperado, Norsuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Master Wato finally getting his win back over Kanemaru. And so clearly they're telling the story here of Wato and Taguchi teaming up to challenge um, Kanemaru who's actually back from the injury And Desperado Still wearing the mask And so we'll see that we see that story tease out as well Throughout these nights Well it doesn't matter if he wore the mask or not Because underneath the mask is Just simply Desperado at this point <laughs> uh, Next up <laughs> We had the the Tongans Chase Owens, Tamatonga, Tangaloa With Master Heater Jado They defeated the Suzuki game. Suzuki Goon team of Doki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. So obviously we are building up for the IWGP heavyweight tag title match with G.O.D. versus the Dangerous Techers at the Dome. Uh, Doki eating the fall here. Then semi-main we have the Empire, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay, of course accompanied with B. Priestley. They defeated the Mega Aces of Hiroshi Anahashi, Kazuchika Okada and Tomi Okahanma. Wait, the Mega Aces lost? <laughs> That's crazy. That's uh, insane. Surprise, right? Yeah, and they left them laying afterwards, right? Yeah. So also, this was to build the the Osprey Okada match in the 
Tanahashi Okan match. And I gotta say, I like what I saw from Okan and Tanahashi in, when they were mixing it up in this match. That's not always an indication as to whether a match will or won't be good, but uh, it is a little key indicator. Or not key, because key sounds like too important. It's it's a little tick mark, you know. Yeah. You like to see it, you know. It doesn't mean that the singles match is for sure going to be good, but I mean, more often than not, it is a good little way of telling. And yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and so a lot of that the stuff between Okan and Tanahashi obviously was surrounding around the knee. Uh, Okan was trying to get him in knee bars and like submissions. The Tanahashi kind of had that scouted and was fighting out of that. So clearly, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be part of their story for the dome as well. Okan targeting, you know, the damaged knees of Tanahashi. Tanahashi trying to have to fight out and, um, you know, fight from underneath there. Very possibly. Yeah. Um, then the main event this night, we had the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Jay White defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. So obviously this match was to build up uh, Jay, well, the potential of Jay and Naito. If Naito beats Ibushi on night one, we're also building up Sonata and Evil who will be facing off in the Tokyo Dome Then also there was the the hints of maybe possibly dissension between Jay White and Evil It was mainly just based off of body language and just the way they were looking at each other But they, they worked fine here in this matchup This was they, the Bull Club, they showed no issues as far as working together And were able to defeat LIJ while we've been a little critical of this uh, double night gold Whatever you want to call it because they don't have an official title for it this year Yeah um, this is the the main events that they have running each not each night uh by my you know estimation are probably the most interesting things on these road two shows um uh, just because they're switching it up a little bit each night and you're getting a little tease to each particular possibility uh every night which is cool and um yeah I liked this a lot and like you mentioned there were some little Teases to the dissension between Evil and Jay, but nothing full blown. And ultimately, they left all these guys laying. And then that picture that we got at the end of the night with Jay White standing with both belts, you know. Now, listen, I wouldn't call us Jay White guys per se, although I think we were higher on the guy early on than a lot of other, you know, um, pundits and people, including Dave Meltzer. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> oh, yeah. we, we got, uh, Heat last week for me, uh, kind of like burying him on the show. Um, let's let's be very clear. I like Dave Meltzer, but uh, he, yeah, I don't think he was big on Jay early on, and I think we were like, you know, he's kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see him walk away with the double gold, but you know, Jay White is extremely popular here in the states uh, uh, when it comes to the fan base, and I saw a lot of love from people online seeing him standing there with the, with the double gold, um, and I gotta say. With the kind of shape that he's gotten himself into. Dude, it, he looked great with the double titles. He looked titles. great with the double. <laughs> I don't want to see it necessarily. Not yet. I'm not, like, advocating that he should win. I think that'd be, like, the probably the worst booking scenario. That would, no, for sure. For sure, that would be the worst booking scenario out of all three of these, at least in my opinion. But, man, he looked good with both those belts. He looked like a real champion. Yeah. Like, he, I, I aspire to have a body like, like <laughs> Jay White. Yeah, man. <laughs> Shredded has, has the, the the washboard abs, yeah, this looks incredible. Also, he had the a new briefcase. Oh yeah, that that thing they're gonna sell some of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that thing's kind of hard, except for like uh, you're a mark if you buy one. But yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of cool. Yeah, 
so yeah, so that that was night one of the tour, at least the first night that was televised, because there were several nights that happened before these nights, but that was the first night that was televised. Uh, second night we had here, Tuesday, December 22nd, Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens defeating Toriano and Tomioka Hanma. This was to build the KOPW match that will be happening on the December 23rd show. Um, with the stipulation uh, being announced that it is a buy slam match or first person to take off all four corner pads uh, uh, will be the winner. <laughs> now, let's basically explain this if you're not understanding. So, you can win one of two ways. You can either body slam your opponent, thus earning you the victory by doing a tech, like literally over the head, straight down body slam. Or if you happen to be the first person to take all four corner pads off. Now, here's my confusion about this, right? We see similar, uh, you know, and this too, we're, I'm going a little bit more in depth than, it, <laughs> than this thing deserves. <laughs> but let's think about it for a second. When you're in a strap match, let's say, generally speaking, you have to touch each of the four corners in in a like in a row mm-hmm. and it cannot be broken up like there can't be any interruptions you know you basically have to incapacitate the other guy to where you're free to go one two three four but they're doing a you know last corner pad standing match so it's like if yano takes two or three of them off and then Fale takes the final one off does that get Fale the the victory do they have young lions Maybe when you take them off, if it gets interrupted, they have young lines are going to stand by and put them back on because it was the count was interrupted. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Honestly, I think you're putting way more thought into it than they are. I put way more thought into the KOPW this whole year than they did. Yeah, it's very clear and evident. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I have no idea. I, I don't. I don't think they they even thought that far. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be. Actually, I, I'm I'm hoping that Fale wins. This me too, so he can fucking destroy the shit and it just be done. Uh, this is the gimmick title that never had any true, actual, quote unquote, real gimmick matches. Like they were all just variations of your standard one-on-one. Yeah, it's supposed to be something great that was going to freshen up these shows, right? You know what's funny when it comes to gimmicks in New Japan? I found this. Uh, this way on cage match to go back further than I knew how to previously in the archives and find like any kind of match uh, that's out there. I found a bunch of gimmick matches that never made like they happened. They were on house shows, but they're not on tape for new Japan. Um, a bunch of nail board death matches from, hmm. from the like early seventies and that they used to do those in JWA uh, basically it would be like, they'd have a bed of nails on the outside of the ring. So you couldn't go outside. Yeah, to force you to stay inside. Force you, or if you did, you'd get cut up by a bunch of <laughs> nails. nails on the ground. Or um, another one, um, they had a bunch of, fe- they had fence matches in New Japan early on. Inoki did, um, which is essentially a cage match, just a really short, they used to call them fence matches. Back, I don't know if you know that, back in the old... No. Yeah, back in the ori- the original cage matches were not called cage matches. They were called fence matches, and they were usually like chicken wire or like some other c- kind of fence concoction, and they were just shorter. <laughs> 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 and, um, yeah, Inoki had a few. Also, there was a ladder match in like 08 on one of those New Japan produce shows that uh, Makabe was in, and I never knew about this, but I think it's him and Tanahashi. Hmm. 
um, on a produce show. Like it's there is tape of it. I don't. I've never seen it, but it, it exists. It is in Corkin. Um, happened way before Tanahashi and uh, Elgin or Omega. Omega. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that was Omega and Elgin, wasn't it? Uh, right, because yeah, Tana- yeah. Tanahashi got uh, hurt. Yeah, but that exists. It's out there. Uh, so moving on to the next matchup, we had Tenzon, Taguchi, and Master Watto defeating Suzuki, Desperado, and Kanamaru. This time, Taguchi picks up the win over Kanamaru. So again, them solidifying that, you know, Taguchi and Watto post-match, you know, they were pointing at the titles and saying they wanted the title. So They've been teasing this since the Super Juniors, and they were the one team that beat them during the, uh, the round-robin tournament. So it... Makes sense that they would uh, probably they're probably setting up a Wrestle Kingdom match between these two teams. Yeah. So then we had God and Nujiro defeating Tai Chi, Zack Saber Jr. and Doki. Very similar story to the night before. Also, just uh, once again, it's a preview, a build for the tag title match. One thing that I failed to mention about the the match on the twenty first, the finish was awesome. Uh, Doki goes for the, the daybreak DDT and Tama catches him with the guns done, lays him out, gets the win here. Uh, they teased that finish here. This time, uh, Doki was going for the daybreak and Tangaloa caught him, almost hit the ape shit off of that. But then there was a final sequence, but eventually, uh, Tangaloa was able to hit the ape shit on Doki, get the win here. Uh, post match there, they had, t- you know, laid out. Techers and Doki and um, God standing strong here. Yeah, um, I I don't have much to add to that. Just you know, yeah. it'll be interesting what what goes down come Wrestle Kingdom time. And another funny spot in this match was uh, when Jado was trying to use the kendo stick, and Doki came with the pipe and uh, fended off uh, Jado with his pipe. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we had. Uh, coming off of intermission, we had Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Hiromu defeating Evil, Dick Togo, and Taiji Ishimori. So, previewing here, Taiji and Hiromu, Evil, and Sonata. Kind of your standard LIJ versus Bull Club affair here. Yeah, great moment at the end, seeing them all do the uh, the fist bump and just kind of acknowledging that they're all on separate paths come Wrestle Kingdom time, but they're all still a united front as LIJ and you know they all three of them got pretty big matches in front of them, and in the case of uh, Naito and Hiromu, possibly two big matches in front of them. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know they t- took a picture afterwards. Uh, Hiromu had his trophy laid out. Naito had his titles laid out. And Sonata, well, he was just there. Bro, Sonata has held nothing all year. Remember, like early in like February or March when uh, Shingo and Bushi and. Uh, Evil and evil were the six man champions, and they did that photo shoot. They've all got belts, and then there's just uh, you know, fucking Sonata over there looking fly as hell, but literally with <laughs> no gold. Everybody else has gold in the entire like group except for him. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's crazy. Maybe you should have turned that guy. He had some motivations. I don't know. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> So then, semi main event, we had Great Okan, Jeff Cobb defeating Shingo and Bushi. So, preview match of the Never Title match between Cobb and Shingo. Great stuff here. Uh, Shingo um, having to fight from underneath. They tell a story here of Cobb being stronger than Shingo, and Shingo just having a hard time, uh, you know, muscling around Cobb like he does his other opponents. So, it's true. 
good story there, and so I'm sure we'll see that play out once they face off in the dome. I also like the, the, the interaction between Shingo and Okan. I think Okan has a future in the Never Division. I mean, it's almost like someone might have called that this group was full of strong style, you know, mm-hmm. Hoss boys. And something else I like about the Empire, they've been winning their matches clean. Um, so it's good that we have a heel stable, heel stable that's not fully relying on cheating uh, to get wins. Right, and when they do, they're in, inevitably there's going to be some cheating because that's just, it's wrestling, that's the name of the game. But if it's overwhelmingly, you know, not necessarily run-ins, not ne- necessarily ref bumps or foreign objects, and every now and again, you know, you make these guys look strong, then you can kind of excuse it when they have to go. And it, you know what it does there, too? When they show that they have to get dirty to win a match, it makes their opponent look stronger, you know, because they were the one guy or girl or whoever that they couldn't put away the way they normally do. Their regular tactics didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have to cheat to be every single person, <coughs> ELP, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it does kind of work because you look like a chicken shit, you know, and you're getting you're garnering heat, and that's good. But eventually, it becomes nothing because everybody could could hypothetically beat you, but you're just this guy that's cheating it, and you know it it stops drawing eventually. You know what I mean? Right. I I do think less is more is a more effective approach, in my opinion. And it doesn't help that you have multiple people that are are doing it as well. In the company, yeah, and so the general feeling of and perception of the entire product is going to be, you know, not favorable when when it's across the board, right? Because no one's special because everyone's doing it, right? Yeah. Then the main event this night we had Jay White, Kenta, and Gato defeat Kota Ibushi, Juice Robinson, and Show. That's right, a match with Gato on the side was the winning side. <laughs> um, so yeah, Gato wins. Uh, very rarely. <laughs> Get a wins. Get out of here with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so obviously they were um, previewing the potential of Jay and Abushi on night two. And then, like we mentioned, there's been this thing going on between Kenta and Juice for the U.S. contract. So post match, you know, Kenta got on the mic and told him Juice that he accepts his challenge for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so Kenta will defend his right to challenge contract for the U.S. title against Juice at the Dome. Like we mentioned, there is a press conference happening uh, midnight tonight uh, for, after we record this episode. So I'm sure that match will be finalized and we'll know which night that's on uh, by the time we do our preview for next week. Uh, we had a question here from Dan. He says, let's say Mox is in Japan and Cantaverse Juice for the case is set for night one. Would it be better to announce his match with the winner for night two now or have him show up unannounced and challenge the winner at the end of that match for night two? Well, um, I guess it kind of depends on what he's even allowed to do. I could see a scenario where Mox is not really even allowed to wrestle. Uh, it w- maybe that might seem like superfluous for him to even be there, but I, I could see Moxley being the kind of guy that like, cause he, Here's the deal. He hasn't been on TV for AEW since he dropped the belt. So the idea that maybe he's in Japan quarantining, it is a possibility. I think it's an unlikelihood, but it's definitely out there. Um, but I don't even know if he's even allowed to wrestle. 
So maybe there's a possibility that we could see a similar situation. Or, like, if he is, he's not allowed to job. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that those are all kind of, like, political caveats to throw out there. But let's just say there's no restrictions. Um, I think it really depends. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, on the one hand, will it draw more attention? Will more people subscribe to New Japan World, will more people buy tickets for night two if it was announced ahead of time? Yes, that's probably the case. But then there's also the ele- that sort of like holy shit factor where, you know, night one, in my estimation, is usually the, the, the better drawing night. At least it was last year because that's the traditional day people attend and go to and everything. And um, I also think it's, on paper, the better-looking card right now than January 5th. So maybe there there could be a trade-off where you're like, you know what, we'll go with the element of surprise, have him do whatever on the first night, and then maybe the walk-up tickets do better on night two because of that, you know, sort of, like, uh, anticipation and surprise. And maybe more people here in the States will, like as opposed to just hearing it in a press conference, they, I think people react more to the angle sort of right. thing. But I mean, it's, it's, it's a one day build. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think it'll be very similar. If they do a surprise, it'll be similar to the Suzuki moment last year where we had no idea that he was going to come out and, you know, attack Moxley. So the only thing with that though, is we had, a, you know, an extra month to build to the actual match, which was way later on, you know, they, right. didn't, they didn't give it away the on, next day. Yeah. yeah. Or even that night. Cause we kind of thought we're like, Oh shit. Suzuki's in gear. Like, that man was ready to run it like <laughs> right then and there. Yeah. He was in full gear. Like his name was Pac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, For those of you that don't know, Pac, uh, always is in gear. Like that man does not dress in regular clothes. Watch him in any clip in, in WWE or AEW. Like his, like he's literally just, and stays in the gear, he stays in his gear. <laughs> Then the final night that we'll have for this Road 2 show airing Wednesday, December 23rd. So we have Tiger Mask, Taguchi, and Wato teaming up against Suji, Yumura, and Gabriel Kidd. We'll have Shingo, Sonata, and Hiromu taking on Evil, Dick, and Taiji Shimori. Then we'll have the KOPW 2020 match, the Body Slam or Last Corner Pad with Yano defending his provisional KOPW championship against Bad Luck Fale. Then we'll have J.Y. and Kenta against Juice and Tohanare. Semi-main, Okada, Tanahashi, and Hanma against the Empire. And then the main event, Naito and Bushi versus Kota, Ibushi, and Show. Yeah, I mean, uh, most of this show looks exactly, you know, on paper, similar to the shows we saw previously. So I think we've already kind of run down most story elements here. Um, it is the last show, though, before Wrestle Kingdom, so I'm feeling like there might be a little bit of a ramp-up. There might be a little, a uh, few, like, uh, bigger angles. Um, I mean, the two things that are interesting, what, you know, depending on how you feel about it, the KOPW t- <laughs> title defense, and this is not the provisional title. This is for the title. You know, whoever wins this is the guy in the KOPW division. Right. Um, but Naito and Abushi as a preview match uh, at the end of it all, you know, that with Bushi and show there, that might end up being a low key banger. Yeah, that could be a really good match. Yeah. And, and I think it has the potential to do really well. So, yeah, 
Well, that wraps up Pro Tokyo Dome. Um, by the time you guys listen to this, you probably already know the results, and hopefully we see snow falling at the end of that show. And then um, real quick here, New Japan Strong, they had night two of detonation on December 18th. We had our good friend Rocky Romero getting revenge on Daniel Limelight and defeating him. We had uh, Babyface Jeff Cobb defeating NXT's Russ Taylor. And so I mean, we had Fred Rosser and PJ Black defeating J.R. Kratos and Tom Lawler. And then in the main event, Kenta defended his briefcase against Brody King. Any, any thoughts on the, on the detonation? Uh, Brody King's a loser. He lost that uh, final battle this week, and he lost, um, you know, this opportunity on, against the same, on the same night. On the same night, yeah. I mean, he's a hard worker. You got to give him that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not really. Uh, Danny Limelight. I don't know. Ho- hopefully, he'll be coming back. Sounds like he might be AEW bound. Um, this might have been his send off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which Team Filthy is not looking too strong. If Danny Limelight's gone and uh, Tyler. Rust, that's the name, right? Yeah, it's NXT name, yeah. Tyler Rust are gone. Um, Danny Limelight takes a big loss. Russ Taylor takes a big loss. I don't know, man. Yeah, then Kratos and Lawler lost this night also, so. Yeah, I mean, that. this is one of the weakest, like, stables we've ever had. Bro, we've been asking for new stables for years. We finally get a new, new stable, Team Filthy, and I think they're already gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So yeah, that that wraps up the, the nation. Uh, but you know, I didn't watch this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Completely honest, I did not watch it either. Uh, so moving on to the news, like we've been mentioning, there is a press conference that's happening midnight our time, uh, December twenty third for Wrestle Kingdom. I'm assuming they will be announcing the rest of the cards. They'll be announcing which night Kenta and Juice will be on. They'll be announcing Suzuki Goon defending Junior Tag Titles against Watto and Gucci. I'm sure there will be some kind of never six-man title match, and so we'll kind of get all those um, dots filled in there for the rest of the cards. Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'll probably tune in tomorrow and check it out. I, based on what we're seeing, there's not much that's ch- too exciting to me. I mean, I guess the idea of Kenta Juice is a little bit cool, but I mean, the majority of what they're filling out the rest of the card with isn't anything that like I'm gonna go gaga over or anything like that. Right. I, and I'm still like, what's Ishii doing? What's Suzuki doing? Well, Ishii, he's got that those narrow six man tiles to, to worry about, <sighs> bro. Well, Suzuki, he's been facing off with uh, Tenzon a lot on this tour. Maybe we'll have. I saw that too. Suzuki versus Tenzon. Well, there was also speculation of him against Yumura. That's right. Yumura, uh, after one of the matches, uh, called out Suzuki. Yeah, but Young he, Lions just be talking out the side of their mouth, though. But, you know, he made a good point. He says he, he has, a, has no match for the Dome. Suzuki has no match for the Dome. Why not run it, him and Suzuki? I would like that. But it it seems like such a downgrade from the kind of year that <laughs> Minoru Suzuki had. I don't know. Right. Uh, also, Wrestle Kingdom related, it was announced that there would be a match featuring stardom wrestlers happening at Wrestle Kingdom 15. Similar to what we saw at last year's event, there, there was a dark match with, with the stardom ladies. So it looks like we'll be getting something very similar this year as well. I mean, in general, I'm not opposed to it. I think that's great, but like we're not gonna be able to see it, right? And because we're not gonna be able to, see, one of the problems I have too is like, why can't 
either group stream it is my problem is like, you know, I understand that there's television rights issues between the two different groups that they, they're both aligned with, but I don't know what the legalities with streaming are, but like my thinking is why can't start if it's a stardom match, why can't stardom have the rights to the match and just they have the streaming rights for it so we could see the shit, you know? Right. I really would have liked to see last year's match and we never got to see it. And, you know, and again, this is kind of my argument for like all the, you know, what's funny. All the people that wanted to start this narrative about, oh, when are we going to get a stardom match? I didn't see shit on their timelines. I didn't see shit (laughs) about them being like, oh, I'm so excited. I can't, I'm so stoked. I can't wait to see this. You know why? Because they don't want, they can't, and they don't watch it. So it's bullshit. Um, We had a question here from Viking Pain. Thoughts on starting being a part wrestling them again this year. This is the beginning of bigger things to come, like women in New Japan or just Bushi Road throwing a sister promotion a bone. Um, You know, I'm not saying it's, impossible i mean i think it would depend you know um we've talked about on the show plenty of times over the years they've tried a lot of different times to incorporate women and have partnerships with uh, joshi promotions and i think that uh if there was an opportunity from a market uh perspective for them to incorporate women and it made sense and they would profit from it i don't think it's impossible and so i definitely think that this would be a step in the right direction to that happening. But I, I also think it's highly unlikely. I think it's most likely just a, a show of goodwill and faith between two partnered companies. Yeah. I think the same. Yeah. They definitely know. Bushiro does have plans to elevate stardom and have a, you know, run in bu- bigger buildings and make it a big deal. So why not, you know, use your biggest event of the year, Wrestle Kingdom to highlight this other product that you have to get people's eyes on it. Yeah, um, you don't try to elevate one company by putting them in in Budokan so that maybe down the road you can de-emphasize them and, and you know integrate them into a, a different company. Right. Their goal is to have a women's version of New Japan called Stardom. Right. <laughs> the the goal there is not to you know get them to a level they're like oh now we can bring them into the Met. No, they want to. They want to like. They want four nights of Tokyo Dome. Yes. Two for New Japan, two for Stardom. Yeah, they want to run the dome with the women. Yeah, and people don't fucking get that, you know. <laughs> they don't. It's mind boggling. Yeah, and, I, and two, like you, you got to think about the fan base because like, right now there is there's this assumption that you know women wrestling fans only want to watch women's wrestling. Um, that has proven not to be true. Uh, New Japan's fan base, it's majority women. And they are perfectly fine with the way New Japan is set up. And even, like, you look at AEW heels, there are a ton of women in there who, who like, you know, just men's wrestling as well. Well, you know, in Japan, right now anyways, when it comes to stardom, the majority of their fan base are men. men. And, yeah. the, and uh, it, I wouldn't say a majority of... Uh, New Japan's fan base are women, but they have a larger w- uh, female fan base than almost any other wrestling company in the world. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty simple. Sex sells. And, like, <laughs> they got hot dudes in New Japan. Probably, like, literally, like, my girlfriend mentioned it. She's like, there's, like, more hot guys in New Japan than any other wrestling company. I was like, ding, ding, ding. You know, it's idol culture. Right. Same thing in, in stardom. Like, they've got, like, 
good looking women. Why do you think the <laughs> men fucking watch it? I do wish though, because like, I, I'm not gonna sit here and claim to be the biggest Joshi head, but like, if you want to give me some like lioness Asuka and like some Jaguar Yakota, like I'm down with that. Cause <laughs> I like that old school shit. And like, there was a time where like when Joshi was in their heyday, the, the majority of the fan base were teenage girls. And like Joshi was like sailor moon and shit like that. You know, they were <laughs> yeah. like superheroes. It was awesome. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been like that for a long time. I wish it would. I wish there would be some element of that again. Yeah, that would be dope. Um, so in other news, we had the free match of the week this week is Ricky, Chos- Ricky Choshu versus Tenryu from the Tokyo Dome on 1993. Yeah, if you haven't seen this, you definitely need to watch it. That was going to be my recommended match of the week a few weeks ago. Instead, I went with Tenryu and uh, Hashimoto. But I almost went with this one because I was trying to keep it strong style slash uh, King's Road. And mm-hmm. this might be one of the it probably is the best. Uh, well, no, it's not the best, but it's one of the better examples of those two styles clashing in the Tokyo Dome. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you definitely need to watch it. It's an old man hoss battle. It's awesome. Yeah, I want to check that out this week. Bro, Tenru, the only man in history to cleanly pin both Baba and Inoki. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Also, the, the 2021 New Japan Soul Sports tracksuits are now available for pre-order on the Token Shop Global. First time ever that NJPW is releasing their iconic tracksuits simultaneously in Japan and worldwide. So if you need to upgrade your tracksuit, get the 2021 version, get those orders in now. And last thing here, you can watch NJPW Strong's Best Moments of 2020 for free. This Friday, December 25th, Christmas Day on New Japan World, YouTube, and Fight TV. Uh, interesting. I might check that out just to kind of do a little, you know, catch up. But uh, that's going to do it for the news. we got a lot of questions here. Let's run through this shit. Yeah. So first from EMJ Does PR in the Discord. He says, first, I just want to say thanks for persevering through this year, recording these shows, and keeping the quality so consistent. No garrote wires or heaters needed. It's really appreciated. Well, actually... Uh, our slew of hosts are our heaters <laughs> <laughs> of guest hosts. But, uh, no, we really appreciate those heartfelt words. And secondly, he says, what are the odds Abushi becomes God, but only for a day? Is Gator really about that kind of heat? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen plenty of scenarios where we thought people, I mean, one, one situation that comes to mind is, like, we kind of thought, for years that we're like, you know, Sonata gets closer and closer and closer every new Japan cup. You know, I don't remember if it was this year or I think it was this year. We were like, now's the time. And then they just didn't do it. <laughs> um, so sometimes they do stuff like that. And um, some people call it heat. I, I think they like to book tragedies more than they like to book heat. Right. Personally. Look, yeah, these long build tragedies where it takes it's like a long odyssey for the person to get redemption and finally get that moment in the sun. But um, I I really think Abushi's winning both nights. So that's the best booking. That's that's the right call. But we'll we'll see what happens. I just yeah, we'll see. Um, next question from uh, Imp. He asked us after what's uh, Imp at damn implications at, at the damn implicat. Okay. Um, after last Wrestle Kingdom, I was all for Ibushi waiting his turn, but thanks to 2020, did Naito really get his? Uh, that's weird. Uh, really get his year? Is it really time 
uh, to crown Ibushi, or do you give it Naito a bit more of a run, thanks uh, to plans being scuppered by the pandemic? So I was a little confused about the way this one was written. Why? I'm just not following. Is it? Is he saying like basically they need to go with Naito or go with Ibushi here? Is that well? That's what he's asking. He's like, should they go with Naito since he didn't get 2020? Should have been his year, but it wasn't. Or is it just time to go with Ibushi? Okay, I see. Um, I mean, honestly, this was his year. <laughs> this was his year. And, I mean, I'm not a Naito hater. I know, you know, sometimes we might come off that way. But in all seriousness, I'm really not. I like Naito. I have for years. Um, but this was – those knees aren't getting better. <laughs> his neck's not getting better. His in-ring work is not getting better. I thought he had a fine year. I understand that there is a pandemic. I understand it's unfair. I understand that they booked him with evil four times, and that's not his fault. But uh, this was his year. Uh, now, you could go with him again. I think there is a possibility that happens from a business perspective. But to me, you need to go with Ibushi because Ibushi is at the zenith when it comes to his athletic prime, that's probably dwindling day after day and you're going to miss it. And you're, you're going to pull a Naito part two. If you wait too long to go with this guy and, and we're going to be right back at, at square one. Um, Abushi needs to be made into the man right now. And then once they do that, we need to get ready for the next generation, which I think that um Abushi's the guy to do that. Not necessarily Naito. Yeah, and I feel like if Ibushi loses, they just completely make him a geek. Like, he loses the briefcase. The first guy to lose the briefcase, then he loses first night on the Dome, left out in the cold for night two. Like, you completely, I know people overuse this word, but I think it's it's a, almost a burial of him if he's losing losing the briefcase, losing on night one, and then doing nothing night two. Like, like you mentioned, like, this guy is at, you know, the peak of his athletic ability, he can have a great match with anybody. We've seen that no matter the style, strong style, more submission-based style. Uh, you know, if you want to kick him, if he wants to throw kicks for 20 minutes, he can do that, you know. So he, he can work with these, you know, great Ocons and guys that are going to be, you know, the next, you know, class of guys to take over New Japan. Interesting thing about Ibushi. We make a lot out of the idea that there have been a slew of or handful of Gaijin wrestlers who have ever held the IWGB title because it's rare. Even rarer, and people don't talk about it, is how many domestic stars have ever held the IWGB title that did not come out of the dojo. Mm. Do you know how many it's ever been, Jeremy? No. Two. Wow. There have only been two men who, uh, to my, and maybe I could be wrong, but I, to the best of my recollection, I went over the, the list the other day and I looked and every single domestic star that has ever held this title came out of that funky Nogi Dojo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't even know if it was always called the Nogi Dojo. But um, the two men are uh, Tenru, who was so big a star basically by the time that they decided to put the belt on him that, like, it was undeniable. Plus, they didn't put that belt on him until, like, 1998 when he was old. And then the other one is Yoshihiro Takayama, who held belts, you know, pretty much in all the other companies, but also was a major, major star coming out of pride fighting championship and, and, you know, the wars he had with uh, Don Fry and all that sort of shit. And like he, those are two 
big enough stars that they kind of transcended the, you know, just with their work and then also with their uh, charisma and their, you know, mass appeal that, that it kind of warranted them getting those title runs. But every other star that was domestic has held the title and it's, or, you know, um, has come out of the dojo. I think the last time a domestic star that was non dojo affiliated was with Takayama was like 2003, 2004. So we're talking like 16, 17 years since this has happened. Mm. Um, it would be a big deal if Abushi, because Abushi didn't come through the dojo at all. Um, you know, and the guy's been with the company, I mean, on and off for a decade. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I hope he, he gets it. That would, that, I'm just saying that to say, like, if they didn't go with him, yeah, there's, there's a reason there why. There might be a reason why. Yeah. Um, but if they do go with him, it'll be extremely historic. But I think from a business perspective, you guys put a lot into this guy. He signed the freaking contract. Like, if you want to juice, you know, get the juice out of the squeeze, now's the time to do it. You're going to fuck it up if you wait longer. Wait yeah. longer. Yeah. Uh, so, next question here from Sir Sam. Who do you predict will be the breakout in 2021 and who will be the wrestler of the year in 2021? Um, I think um, Will Ospreay is going to be the breakout star of the year in 2021. Um, just because he's the head of a new group and I think they're really going heavy with that group. I also think he'll most likely be the wrestler of the year next year. Although I think Kota Ibushi is a real, I'll actually go with Kota Ibushi because he's going to have the title. And I think that that's a safe bet. I don't know that would be the fact, but I mean, if you had put the, I don't like, let's say, let's just say uh, if Ibushi's 2020 had been surrounded by the IWGP title and he had the kind of output he had. There'd be no doubt who the, who the right. fucking wrestler of the year was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for the breakout star, I'm going to say Great Ocon. I, I think the match. I, I, I'm seeing similarities with the Jay White match, and whether he wins or loses, it's going to set him up to have a great 2021. And I think we're going to see him get pushed more and have more opportunities. And I think he's really going to. Break out and impress people, and then uh, you know a year from now we'll have to say, oh, now now everybody's a fan of Ocon all of a sudden, right? Um, as far as wrestler of the year, I mean, yeah, Osprey is a great choice. Ibushi is a great choice. I, I think Shingo Takagi uh, could be a great choice in that in that role as well. I'm not going with Shingo because nothing is telling me right now that they're going with the guy, right? And I think that the I think. Uh, the two guys we mentioned they're going with. Um, and some people might be listening and be like, breakout star Osprey, how is that possible? Because they are putting him into a new stratosphere by putting him at the head of a, of a faction mm-hmm. and letting him feud with Okada. Also, one thing, um, I don't know if this is confirmed yet. I haven't heard anyone else talk about it, but if you, uh, I, I mentioned this to Jeremy tonight. If you go look at the lineup for night uh, one, the main event that they have listed is Okada Osprey. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the main event, but it's just weird because it, it looks like they do have it purposefully ordered, and it's just weird. You would think Naito and uh, Ibushi would be the top of the list, but for some reason, they've got Okada Osprey. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know. For some reason, I'm feeling like that'll get changed once the press conference happens and they announce the, the full cards and final order, but... I'm hoping so. I don't think Okada Osprey should headline. No, not at all. Um... 
But, I mean, if it did, that would kind of tell you what the company is still thinking when it comes to, you know, Kazushika Okada, even without the title. Right. Uh, next question here from our user, Asayo Jimbo. He says, Death Triangle 720 asked this here on the sub, but it's a good question. How do you think New Japan should handle their U.S. expansion post-coronavirus? Okay. Um, hmm. It's an interesting question because I've uh, I've mentioned this to other people. Um, I don't know if I've – I think I talked a little bit about it with uh, Rich Krejci, um earlier on the episode. But, uh, you know, if they want to do well here, I think the – the decision that would be the most cost effective, the most expansive and the most beneficial would be to get uh, a TV deal and to do another recap show, because that's one of the things that propelled them into success the first time. Um, But, you know, let's face the fact they don't have a TV deal. So there's no, there's nowhere to like do a recap show. You know, you can't do Mm -hmm. it on new Japan world because all that shit's already on New Japan World. You're just showing people stuff that they've probably already seen and that already exists. Um, the other thing, too, is if I lobbied for that, I'm also lobbying for people that are working here stateside to not work, which does kind of suck, um, but it might be a necessary evil, you know, um, provided that they still are just going to keep doing shows here or doing you know tapings i don't know how they handle that i mean what do you think yeah so i agree with you on the tv deal we, we kind of talked about that in the, the the first you know half of the show with, with rich Krejci, um how important that access tv deal with i definitely think they're you know 2021 needs to be that should be a number one goal get some kind of tv deal and not put strong on it put the recap show that shows the big matches so you can capture some new eyes as far as scheduling wise, as far as live events, I don't think they should do those tours that they were that they were doing last year or this year. Like we've been said on this show several times, I think they need to do maybe two to three really big shows spread out throughout the year that fit into their calendar in big areas and build up cards for them. And this is post coronavirus, right. way. Okay, right, post corona. Yeah, I would agree that you need to do big shows. Um, I'm thinking, too, that you continue your partnerships with some of these outside companies, namely Ring of Honor. Um, Right now what it feels like they're doing is it feels like strong and all that is them just treading water to keep some sort of U.S. presence until they are ready to do something stateside. And I'm not saying they have a grand plan because I think they've shown us time and time again, they don't have a good plan in place for the U S but I think that at least what they're trying to do is like, you know, we can't get any of our guys there. We don't have a TV deal. Let's just kind of maintain a presence until we're ready for the next step. Uh, but I don't think they should be doing those mini tours at all. I agree with you. I think if they're going to do shows, I think maybe they do like three mid side, mid size shows, you know, Mm-hmm. And then one big show like the show in New York. And um, I think they should continue to work with outside companies and try and build that way, you know. But uh, even that just seems sketchy. Like I'm thinking about like live attendance. I mean uh, I know people will be wanting to go back to seeing live wrestling. But I'm also thinking there's going to be a lot of people who won't want to go back to watching it live right away. Um 
you know, and how much does how much does that expenditure cost New Japan? You know, if they rent out a big building and do all the press and all that, fly all the guys over, they can't fill it. Yeah, and then they don't draw. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. I think. I mean, this is just something. I know people don't want to hear this, but like, it did not hurt New Japan's overall business. So let me just be clear about that. New Japan. From a financial standpoint, it's fine. But when it comes to the U.S., they fucked themselves by letting all those guys go to AW because that's a show that they should have had two years ago. And ROH could have had two if Sinclair had had the forethought. And it is something that was kind of presented to them if the stories are to be believed based on what the Young Bucks have said. But uh, they let all those guys go. Those were their domestic stars here in the States. And... Uh, it's just it's going to be hard to get the product over on a major scale without the major stars that they let go because they created their own competition, right? For better or for worse. Uh, next question here from our user Guilty Watts: When and how will the titles be split? Will the IC be merged into the heavyweight title, or are we doing double gold for the foreseeable future? It's a great question. It's something that I felt. Uh, was easier to answer in the past when it came to Naito, especially because I thought Naito had it out by being able to sort of just drop the title. Um, I mean, one thing they could do, and we've talked about this before is they could maybe make the new Japan cup this year for the white belt mm-hmm. and just, and establish it that way. Um, those are, but like realistically, I mean, I really don't have a good answer for you because it's so it it's been unified for so long now. It's like it's essentially a double crown at this point. Yeah, and I don't like that. I mean, I I really don't. I they and one thing too is they they never defended them separately, which uh, I could see the positives and the negatives of doing that. But um, it's something that Naito wanted to do, and they just never went with right. Uh, I, I, I don't think you should lose that lineage of the white title of the IC belt. I think they need to split them up. Yeah, and I think as far as double goal for the future, I think as long as there's a double championship, I think it's a, it's a crutch for double goal dash to happen every year. I mean, he, here's a scenario where I could see them having a double gold, right? The NWA folds, they buy the title, you know? Mm-hmm. And they, they don't need two world titles, but they've got them. And, you know, so now they need to kind of fold it into the IWGP, but they want to still honor the lineage. I mean, that's kind of exactly what happened in uh, All Japan, something very similar to that. You know, now you need to now you need a double gold, you know, and and you've got two things that are on equal footing. But the IC belt was integral to their business. Um, and and it, it it's also just so convoluted the way they've been booking this thing for the Tokyo Dome the last two years. So uh, I, I think they should split them. I, I like my idea, uh, and I think it's something that you've echoed in the past as well, is like, let's just do the New Japan Cup. Let's just give them the white belt. I know normally the winner gets a shot at the title, but I think if they were smart, they could maybe book an angle prior to that to so that there's some sort of personal conflict between um, – you know, the the IWGB champion and whoever the challenger is for Sakura Genesis or whatever, you know, the big April show is. Mm-hmm. And then and then that way it kind of gives them an out from even needing to have the IWGB title part of the New Japan Cup. Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. You so. want to hear something Rich said to me the other day? Oh, like. <laughs> 
some people are not going to like this, but this is just something Rich said to me the other day while we were driving. Um, Rich was like, what if Kenny Omega shows up at the Dome? Like, Well, I, I said that to Rich. Oh, yeah, I think he said, yeah, I think he told me that you said that to him. And, um, and then he was like, you know, then basically they set up a match between them. And then I said, you know, it would be like even better. And there's probably some people groaning hearing this right now, but this would be pretty cool. Kenny shows up. Abushi wins, blah, blah, blah. And then Kenny shows up, right? And then Ke- Kenny challenges him at the Tokyo Dome, but not next year. That night? No, not that night. Like in April. Mm, another dome. Another dome in the middle of the year. Wow. You know, because yeah. they can only do limited capacity anyways. Right. And if they had the big, a big enough match, I mean, that's something that their business probably could really, really, really use. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I was going to see Kenny Omega come back, Omega, Omega come back and fight anybody, that's the scenario I would want. I would want him to fight Kota Ibushi in the dome for the titles because that's the story that was left, you know, unresolved. That's the big match for me. Yeah. So that would be awesome. Yeah, I I would love that. And it's never going to (laughs) happen. Next question from Rambo and Slam Pig. Who should be holding the top titles leaving the dome on January 5th? Who will be holding them? I, I'm I'm estimating it's going to be Ibushi in both cases. Yes, I, I it should be Ibushi. Um, again, I, the way this year has been, anything could happen. Uh, we will be giving our official predictions next week, so stay tuned for that. With Chris Samsa. Yes, with Chris Samsa from VoicesOfWrestling.com. Uh, Rambo also asked, what was your favorite part of NJPW in 2020? The Never Division, hands down. Very simple answer. Yep, both never, yeah, the never open weight and the never six man titles. Uh, I love it so much. That's what I wrote my my essay for for the Voices of Wrestling ebook that will be coming out soon. Yo, put my name on that. <laughs> what do you mean, put your name on it? You know, like when um when like it's like Christmas time and like one sibling bought the parents a, a gift and the other one didn't, but like you just kind of go in on it. So mm. from Josh and Jeremy, gotcha. Do so- that shit. Gotcha. So it's like the science project where yes. the one kid does all the work, but, y- but y'all are partners, but you still put your name on it. Hell yes. <laughs> put my name on it, bro. You can, uh, I mean, whatever money you make, you can keep it. I just want some credit. That's all. <laughs> um, last thing here. He said, no question. Just happy holidays to you guys and your loved ones. Thanks for all you do to entertain and enlighten us all. Thank you. We appreciate it. Let's uh, let's make 2021 an even bigger year. And uh, whatever you guys can do to help us grow, because we want to get, you know, I feel like we put out an incredible product and like um, it's it's growing. But I'd like to see it, you know, get even bigger. Yes. A lot bigger. Uh, I've got a I got a big vision for this show. So nice. I'm really just using it to propel me into uh, <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Wiz Factor. As we approach mass vaccinations and hopeful return to shouting crowds next year, do you feel the crowd reactions will permanently change even after live life returns to normal? I suspect there will be less laughing and booing in 2021 than there was in 2019. Mm, it's a it's a really tough question to answer. That there, it's definitely a possibility. I could see uh, mask wearing becoming a major part of the culture just internationally, even here in the States as well. Um, Cause who knows how long this is going to go on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I mean, I won't get it all into it, but like there's a lot of questions about the various different types of mRNA um, vaccines that are out there right now. My, my girlfriend actually just got the Pfizer one recently. And, you know, I guess it's a 21 day period to get a second one after that. But um, there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions we have about that. Uh, we could do a whole podcast on that. But um, I don't know. I could see it going both ways. I could see people becoming rowdier because they were uh, held back. Right. It's kind of pent up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you haven't been to a show in a long time. You just want to let it all out. It could get that way. Um, you know, so I and also but I could also see where like. Maybe this is a good reset for, like, U.S. fans as well who, like, I don't know. Sometimes the indie crowds kind of annoy me a little bit. I right. like them, but, all, and, you know, we are the, the indie crowds that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, maybe, you know, I wish people were more respectful, like, the way they are in Japan. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just, yeah, it's kind of up in the air. Interesting question, though. A uh, series of questions here from Reddit user Viking Pain. Does this rundown include the questions we had from last week? It, that, yeah, okay. It does, yeah. Um, so Viking Payne says, my friends and I have been talking about the double goal and how the two tiles could be split. And one thing we talked about was Abushi being the guy to split the two belts <clears throat> during his press conference after winning the G1. Abushi said about the IWGB heavyweight title being worth more to him since he's never won it. If Abushi wins at Kingdom 15, I could see him va- vacating the IC title afterwards and it would fit his character too. Jay White wouldn't do it and Naito won't as well, but Abushi being the good guy himbo that he is could they can then set up the New Japan Cup to crown a new IC champion. Thoughts? Yeah, I like I like that scenario, um, but I disagree a little bit. I think Naito could have easily been the the person to. Uh, I think storyline wise, it makes the most sense for Naito to be the guy. Like, you know, um, he has a storyline reason to actually split them. You know, in a non condescending way. Like, you know, I just talk about his previous relation to the belt. And, you know, that he's uh, thankful for it, but, you know, he's going to p- focus his attention on the heavy on the IWGB title. Um, but, yeah, I could see them splitting it in a press conference if that's what they end up doing. Um, I don't know if that would be the wording or the reasoning I would use if I was Ibushi. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he is kind of, you know, I don't know what the word is, quirky enough to like kind of get away with splitting them as well. Right. Yeah. I can totally see that that fits the Ibushi character and that, that falls in line with what we were saying with the new whole new Japan Cup thing. I think that would be a great way to uh, crown a new IC champ. I could see Jay White doing it too, but if Jay White did it, it would be in a very demeaning sort of heelish way. Like, I don't need this. Yeah. What, what the fuck do I need this for? <laughs> um, he also asks, according to recent reports, the COVID cases in Tokyo are rising. If it comes to a point that things get out of control, would Wrestle Kingdom Fade team be delayed, canceled, or possibly be moved to a different city? Um, I mean, I from I've been reading about the same thing and trying to keep up with it. I don't know for sure. I mean, we're not like experts on uh the domestic affairs over in Japan, so I mean, I don't know what their public health uh, rulings would be, but. From what I've read, that other people who seem to be knowledgeable on the subject, they say no, it's not really a, a high likelihood, especially because Wrestle Kingdom's what a week away, uh, two weeks away, two weeks away. I mean, that would a lot. I mean, it would have to get pretty, pretty bad for them to do that. But uh, I don't know. New Japan really does have the benefit of the doubt. They've had last time we heard about it, they had no 
contact tracing that traced back to their events. Their protocols seem to be working. So yeah, I, I would be highly surprised if it got to a point to that kind of situation where they would have to consider canceling. Uh, he also says, "Okay, I'll bite since this question will come up sooner or later." Ken Omega has recently introduced his new collector gimmick, and it seems that he's on his way to get his hands on the Impact title while already holding his AEW and AAA titles. People are already assuming that he's going to get his hands on the NWA and <laughs> ROH titles, all making his way back to New Japan to fight Kota Ibushi for the IWGP title. Since you guys like to be ahead, do you think something as unprecedented as this is even possible? I personally don't. Two companies working together is already hard enough but now you're asking for four or five to do so as well, especially with money, egos, rivalries, and politics involved would just be impossible. Um, I don't, I don't know for sure uh, that any of that would be the case. Uh, I mean, my fanboydom of like, I remember uh, reading a PWI growing up, like in the mid nineties and uh, someone talking about how great the Steiner brother, it might've been LOD or the Steiners. I don't really remember. They're like, I don't understand why they don't just go to ECW, win those belts, and then go to WCW, pick up those belts, go to WWF, get those belts, and then they can uh, make their way over to Japan, get the new Japan, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember being like, that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> like, the idea that someone could just go to each, you know, uh, group and take their title, like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And I also remember, like, playing um, WCW versus the world. No, no, no. WCW world... Yeah, it was versus the world. Sorry, the one for PlayStation. And, um, you know, they had eight different uh, organizations. And if you took your, your character and beat the league, you know, and won the title in each of the divisions and you unified them all into one belt, then you'd, you'd unlock the big super boss character or whatever. Um, and that was, like, my first kind of exposure to someone, like, the idea of someone going to all these different companies, like, like Ultimate. Well, Ultimate didn't really... You know, people act like Ultimo went to a bunch of companies. I mean, he won the J-Crown. Right, yeah. But uh, they were legitimate, you know, belts from different companies and everything. So there is the part of me that's like the uh, the fan fiction um, sort of fan that likes that idea. But uh, the, the realist in me realizes, like, this would be... I could see him maybe getting the... NWA belt because that would benefit them but I don't know about ROH and I definitely don't think he's gonna come over and win that IWGB title I don't know yeah it's very all highly unlikely as a Kenny Omega fan I mean I would love that and I mean it, it would benefit those other companies in the fact that you have Kenny Omega as your champion just the buzz and and you know eyes on your product you would get from that but then ultimately you have to free up those titles. He's not going to be working every single promotion. So it would be kind of a sticky situation to get into. But, yeah, well, like like Mike and Payne mentioned, with, with all the, the egos and the politics, like I highly doubt all that. The, the one thing that Don Callis has been mentioning, though, is he's saying what they have planned is unprecedented and historic on a level that no one else could dream of, and it's going to change history. Now, you know, a lot of that could just be – you know, callous being callous. Yeah. <laughs> but so far what they've done has been extremely interesting, extremely uh, entertaining and it has been historic and it's been, you know, I wouldn't say totally unprecedented, but in a certain way, yes, unprecedented. Um, and he's saying that what they, what they're planning to do is much, much bigger than that. So, I mean, there is a possibility. Kenny does have it in his contract that he's allowed to go to Japan and, 
you know, whether New Japan would want to work with him or not, it, it still remains to be seen. But uh, most of these roadblocks that uh, that he brought up is, you know, the egos, the booking, you know, yada, yada. There's just so many, you know, variables there. And at the end of the day, Kenny is beholden to AEW as their champion right now. So, I mean, that's the big holdup. I mean, I, I would be shocked to see him. I would be so shocked if he won the IWGB title. And I don't think I'd be a fan of it either. I would like, my thing is I would like to see him come challenge. Yeah. I'd like to see him come wrestle here, but I don't want to see him with the IWGP title right now. Right. Not while he's holding the AEW belt because that, and it's not even that I care about like, which is better. It's just, it's never, it's never really productive uh, ultimately to have one guy holding major world titles in two other companies because we saw how that played out with Stan Hansen when he was um, working in, he wasn't the champion per se, but when he was in all Japan and he was holding the AWA title and then they want him to, to get dates and, you know, do jobs, drop the belt. And he's like, nah, Baba said I can't, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to run into a situation where it's like, well, you know, uh, you and Okada, you know, doing Budokan or whatever, you need to drop the belt. Nah, Tony says I can't. Like, that sucks. Yeah. Or vice versa. Ghetto doesn't want him to, you know, drop the belt to John Moxley or whoever, whatever. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. just messy. Yeah, very messy. He also asked a non-NJPW-related question, but a hot topic recently was JR scathing comments about guys gathering like quail to catch a guy. What are your thoughts on this type of spot, yay or nay? Um... Well, I think his comments, there was a lot more to his comments than just that specific thing. Um, you know, I try to be logical when it comes to this stuff. I understand that there's a a lot of bad will that uh, Jim Ross has kind of built up with a certain uh, section of the fan base. And there are some things behind his statements, not just what he said, but also sort of the arrogance and the attitude behind it. Um, but ultimately... On the surface, for just what he's saying, I 100% agree. <laughs> I 100% agree that it is a stupid spot when everybody is gathered up in one location waiting for the guy to jump on them. I do think that there's a way to work this spot that is both logical and uh, effective. For the most part, I don't think that guys should be jumping on their own partners. Right. Unless they're just some crazy, like, I don't know, if it's Terry Funk, you know? Terry Funk gets away with it, because Terry Funk's fucking crazy, you know? But Hiromu, I could get away. Hiromu could maybe get away with it, yes. Um, but even now, I mean, he's not even really leaning into those crazy tendencies that he kind of used to when he first, first came in, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. But um, the other thing, too, is, like, I don't think they should all be standing there noticeably just waiting. That's the big scathing part about it for me. Um, I would like it if people were brawling and it's like a chaotic mess and then they come together last minute. I also think that whoever is shooting it shouldn't be shooting the guys while they're waiting. That, that is the biggest issue with it. A lot of production guys, they cut, they, they either hold the camera on the crowd or they cut back and forth. It's like, no, keep the camera on the guy that's on the top rope until he does a dive, then you cut to your wide shot. But for the most part, um, you know, I don't know. One way of doing this particular thing is like if you have two teams, right? And let's say the one team is getting the upper hand on 
let's say the bad guys are beating up the good guys on the outside, right? And they leave all the good guys laying. And now they're like, you know, standing over them or like, you know, congratulating each other. Then maybe it makes sense for them to be in one spot for the fourth good guy to do the big dive onto the bad guys to even things up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and in that case, he's not jumping on his own guys. I just think there's a lot of like better ways to get to that. But I do think that people lazily go into the spot. I think it has become cliched. I think there is logic there. I also don't think dives are killing the business. <laughs> you right. know, I think some of the stuff, I don't agree with a lot with some of the things that Jim Ross said there. I think, um, I think you need to, in these sorts of situations, people, it's always a all or nothing sort of thing. Well, I mean, Jim Ross has been in the business for a really, really long time, and he knows what the fuck he's talking about, but also he's an old head, so he kind of doesn't all, you know, you need to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Right. And, you know, people don't want to do that. They, they, because, you know, tribalism, things like that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, his last question, he says, recently I watched a Dragon Gate show final gate and i know this is a new japan centric podcast but i wanted to ask young boy this question since he's trained to be a wrestler during the show ben k was legitimately knocked out by his opponent shun skywalker but the match continued anyways and skywalker kept hitting ben k with multiple moonsaults afterwards even though it was pretty obvious he was out if a person gets legitimately hurt in a match is it no negligent on everyone involved from promotion to referee to to wrestlers to everyone involved to continue the match, or is there some sort of unwritten rule inside the locker room that the show must go on regardless of the situation? Another example that comes to mind was Matt Hardy falling and hitting his head on the concrete at All Out, continuing to wrestle anyways while clearly injured. Um, Yeah, I mean, with that, that's a tough question. I mean, let's be clear. I'm not an expert on any of this. I've been training for, I'm in my fifth month of training. <laughs> um, I've never worked a real show. I don't know the unwritten rules of wrestling or, or anything like that, but um, with my, I mean, Jeremy could do the same thing as me. From an analytical standpoint, I think if someone is truly, truly hurt in a really, really bad way, I think in 2021 or 2020, um, I think we're at a point where, like, you need to, the one thing I will tell you, my trainer, Matt Seidel, the one, his number one rule, and it's the biggest, biggest thing, Safety is the name of the game. It is the number one rule. Before anything else that we do, safety is emphasized above all other things. So, like, I've never asked him this. I couldn't tell you what he would say, but I I feel pretty confident that he would probably say if someone is completely unconscious and they're laid out, you need to at least check on them and maybe even stop the match. We've seen people die in the ring over the past couple of years. So it's not always just that they're unconscious and you know, you're not a doctor. They're not a doctor. I mean, how do we know that doing moonsaults to a, a prone body can't kill him? Yeah. <laughs> isn't killing the person. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, I would say no. Um, how, how it's handled over there in Japan. I mean, we've seen times in new Japan where people have been knocked loopy or knocked unconscious. And the matches continued. And I think that that's uh, something that needs to change over there um, and also needs to be handled differently here in the States. Yeah, I agree with you. If, if a guy is knocked out, they need to call the match. You could always do a no contest if you're worried about the result of the match. Do a no contest. Nobody wins. And then you can run it back once the guy is healthy. Uh, I think that's the way to go. I mean, there are issues with that, you know, from a business perspective. And I get that. But... um. You know, there is also the possibility that you could stop the match 
and restart it. Now, I'm not saying handle it the way that they did with Matt Hardy because they, they did like a one-minute check and they're like, all right, he's good to go. <laughs> get, get him out there. Um, but we've seen matches stopped in the past, you know. Um, one that comes – I mean, Cena against Brock Lesnar comes to mind. Mm. You know, Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar comes to mind. They, they weren't exactly the same thing, but we've seen times where people have been, you know, have a doctor look at them first. You know, have a doctor assess whether they think this can continue or not because, you know, doctor stoppages are a thing that happen in combat sports all the time. Yeah. You know? Uh, next question here from Rich says, a favorite Wrestle Kingdom? Um, either 9 or 11. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I would have to say 11, uh, the Okada Omega main event. Um, I just remember all how, how hyped all three of us were watching that together and just what a great show that was. I didn't watch that with you guys. Wasn't it? I, I, I watched that in, I was living in Virginia. Okay. What was the one that, maybe it was. We it? watched 12 together. 12, okay. Well, we watched everyone after that together. Right. But, uh, um, but yeah, either way, I still think Wrestle Kingdom. 11, I would say for that. Nine's up there. Nine's really close. Yeah. I mean, I think nine might be better. It's hard to say. Uh, next question from Reddit user, older guy. He says, with the complaint about the booking in 2020, do you think there is someone in the company or roster that could be a better booker, at least someone who isn't as formulaic? I got to tell you the honest truth. I have absolutely no idea because, um, you know, booking is an art form. Um, and my my guess would be no. Uh, mainly just because Gato is has been the best booker of a decade. He's one of the all-time greatest bookers that has ever done booking. Um, and yes, there are formulas in New Japan, and yes, sometimes they can be a little, uh, you know, too stuffy, I guess, is a, is a way to put it. But let's, I mean, look at this year's um, G1 Climax, like, you thought that it was formulaic and by the numbers and it, it was anything, but it was really, really, really hard to call that shit. And I know some people, uh, criticize them, but they tried a few different new things. They ultimately, I still thought this year's G one was incredible. I think if they'd done this year's G one in front of a crowd, we'd be talking about one of the best G ones ever. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't really have a problem with, uh, Gato's booking. I just think that they've been re- over reliant on, too many heel tactics uh and garrote wires yeah and and out outside interference and then you know i thought they pushed the wrong guy to evil and kind of forced him down our throat but other than that i mean the company's still great right i mean and there's no way for us to know if there's somebody that could be a better booker like we don't know there's no you don't know until they start booking yeah we have no the only other person i know that's a good booker in the company is Jado. right because they booked together for the first few years and uh, even though he kind of exploded Noah and, and kind of ruined it, uh, the first like six or seven months of his booking in Noah was awesome. <laughs> I, actually, there is one guy I know I don't want booking. That is Kazuchika Okada. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now we're going to end with a series of questions from Dom Homie 101. Uh, first, ask, in your guys' opinion, who's your favorite wrestler between Kiji Mutu and Sting? Who peaked the highest? Who had better overall matches? Who had the better impact on the business? Which was your guys' favorite, Sting versus Mudo? And do you guys think we'll ever see both guys in the ring together again to possibly do a face-off? Wow. Oh, man, that's a lot of questions. Um, I can dive into this. Uh, Jeremy, do you want to take a stab at it all? I know 
this might not totally be your wheelhouse. Uh, I mean, favorite between both of them would have to be Sting, just because I grew up on Sting. Uh, he was my second favorite wrestler growing up behind Shawn Michaels. I didn't really follow Kijimuto um, growing up. Also, I know what a big you know star he was and the impact he had now, but I was not following Muto growing up. Uh, overall, just looking at the star ratings, I'm sure Muto had the, the better star uh, ratings. Um, as far as impact on business, I, I wouldn't really know. I, don't, I haven't done a, much research on that to know who. Um, and then what would be possible for a face-off? I yeah. mean, anything's possible in the wrestling business, and we've seen AEW bring legends in. Um, oh, my God. Noah, please. Sting versus Muto. <laughs> GHC, globally honored crown. Let's get that shit going. I think that's what GHC stands for. I don't know. Um, yeah, so, I mean, between the two, I, I, I'm a, I am a Sting guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising. I, I mean, no, it's not, bro. I grew up in the '90s. I I know, but I just feel like you would have you would have picked Muto. I mean, I res- I respect Muto's work a lot more, and I revere him a little bit more. But I fucking love Sting. Like my favorite, bro. My favorite wrestlers growing up was the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Sting. Are you seeing like a pattern here? Yeah. Like those <laughs> are the dudes that I liked, you know, because they fuck people up and they, had, they they wore bright colors and they were larger than life. They were they were awesome. And then you know, and then when I was like becoming a uh, you know going into my like teenage years, like Dark Sting came around, nineteen ninety seven, Man with the Vengeance. You know, mm-hmm. he carried a fucking baseball bat and flew. Ju- I ain't never seen Muda come out of the rafters. <laughs> then then you had Wolfpack Sting. Yeah, Wolfpack. Well, you know, Wolfpack Sting. I I always kind of thought Wolfpack Sting was kind of weak because he didn't talk for all these years, and then suddenly, like, he's cutting promos. And, like, I was like, I don't know, fuck uh, all that. I, I liked Wolfpack. Sting. I I liked the red face paint, and and I liked that he was part of the Wolfpack, but it just didn't make. Eve, I was I was probably a smarter fan than you back then. I don't know. We got, maybe, maybe you were, yeah. Because think about it. Like, it makes no fucking sense. He fought the NWO for years, and then suddenly he joins the NWO. He didn't join the black and white. <laughs> he was fighting the black and white. He joined the, the red and black. Bro, the guys on the red and black were the same people you've been fighting all these years. And, well, it made, and it came out of nowhere. Well, they were really good at heart, and they had issues. No, bro. What's going on with the black and white? No. No, no they weren't. <laughs> Because the finger poke of doom happened a few months later. It just shows, once again, that Sting was a stupid baby face. That's true. Anyways, uh, I like Sting better. As far as who peaked the highest, it's uh, it's definitely Muto. And, like, Muto peaked, uh, in my estimation, I would say his two biggest peaks were, like, probably 95 would probably be his, his highest peak uh, in his original uh, incarnation. But then in... 2000 2001 when he sort of had to reinvent himself and he shaved his head and he was working between all japan and new japan and totally changed his style and like i think in 01 he was like one of the five best wrestlers in the world again after even after all the knee issues and everything was so like uh he definitely peaked higher uh i think muto definitely had the bigger impact on the business and i think part of the reason why is because sting definitely um you know was a major player in wcw during the uh you know during the 80 what was it 83 weeks yeah four weeks whatever 83 yeah but um he never left wcw that's the problem like he never worked wwe and because their side lost i i do think that his influence was a lot less felt as opposed to 
Kiji Muto's, I mean, he did he did bigger business. He was a bigger draw. He was a bigger star internationally. Um, I think he influenced more workers. He definitely had the better matches. Uh, I think the, the they both had iconic characters, but Muto with the mystique and you know the great Muto character and the spraying of the mist and you know the way his movement, like the way he moved in the ring, people are people are still copying and emulating Muto. I don't see a lot of people copying and emulating Sting, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and I think my favorite match of theirs, uh, I think a lot of people point to that Great American Bash 15-minute match, but I probably prefer, um, there's a match from Worldwide, and Muto wears the black, and I think that's, I, I don't remember who wins. It it was like a lost match for years. I think you can find it on the WWE Network now, but it's from, uh, yeah, it's from Worldwide. It's it's they traded the television title. I don't know who lost to who, but I think that's the the match I like better. It's a little bit longer than the fifteen minute match. Mm-hmm. Um, his next question: What are you guys' thoughts on tag teams having ring gear or si- matching ring gear or similar ring gear? Is it a must or is it no big deal? I prefer it. I I, I like tag teams that have some ho- uh, cohesiveness. Yeah, I prefer the matching gear also. And then we mentioned last week that was kind of an uh, kind of an issue with that with Juice and Finley with them not matching this year. But yeah, I think tag teams should have the matching gear. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a mark for you know the Midnight Express. So uh, next question: Recently, I saw a video on the historical Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Inoki fight. So my question is: If a similar fight would it take would take in the year 2020, who would you guys take in the Ali role, and who would you take in the Inoki role? Uh, it's a really great question. Um, I mean, the reality is there's there's never been anyone like Ali before or after uh, as a sporting hero and a cultural icon. I mean, um, it's really tough to say. But, I mean, the two biggest, most marketable stars that I can think of that are out there that have enough bravado and are brash enough, you know, it's got to be either Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather, I'm guessing. Yeah, those are two I was thinking about. Um, and then also keep in, keep in mind, both those guys are around 147 to like 160-ish on a, you know, at max. Um, probably more in like, more towards 155. Um, so, I mean, with their size, is there anyone like, I? and again, Inoki was extremely unique in the sense of what he meant to Japan, what he meant as a sporting hero, as a cultural icon. Um, that's tough. I mean, I think there's more cachet in a boxing versus MMA crossover fight, like the kind we saw between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor, than there is between a pro wrestler versus a, a true fighter like that. Right. Maybe The Rock. <laughs> Floyd Floyd versus or Connor and Rock. Connor versus Rock is like the one thing I can think of that's like on that level. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen Floyd in the ring. It's big show, so he was pretty good actually. Yeah. He was okay. I mean, for what it was. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't think of anybody in, in Japan that I could think that's on that Anoki level. Yeah. There's nobody. There's nobody that's on that level. I mean, I think Okada makes the most sense. 
But, I mean, Okada versus those two guys sounds really fucking weird to me. Yeah, I don't Yeah, I wouldn't want to see that. Uh, his next question, non-New Japan question. Thoughts on the rumor of Marvel maybe trying to get into the wrestling business? Do you guys think we will see a Marvel-type match in the NJW ring like we saw at Triple Mania this year? I doubt it. I mean, I don't know much more about the rumors. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, before. I know, like, there's some kind of licensing deal with Marvel and AAA, how that match happened. Um so I think they're it kind of made more sense with them to start with, you know, Lucha Libre, considering they they wear a mask and Lucha Lucha doors are supposed to be kind of like superheroes. Um, you know, I would like to say that we this could never happen in New Japan, but I mean, we've seen some really wild shit in right. New Japan over the years. Uh, the most recent thing that I can think of is like the Tiger Mask W thing, um, which was kind of similar to this, although not quite. Yeah. To the same level, but we've we've seen some weird licensed sort of things happen in Japan over the years. So could it happen? I think it could if the if the price was right. <laughs> right. Uh, next question: Thoughts on New Japan doing a Sean versus Razor type storyline with the U.S. title? I mean, we would need to create. They would need to say Mox was not the champion and give someone else a, new, uh, a title. So right, they would have to make Kenta versus Juice for the title. Whenever Mox come in, be like, "Nah, I'm still a champ." What should happen is, if you want to, you know, Kenta's the heel, but he's the one who's here. So what he should do is destroy the briefcase again and bring out a title. Bring out a, a red U.S. title and uh, declare himself the U.S. champion, and then maybe you could see a similar situation. Yeah. Uh, his last question: How likely will we see a John Moxley appearance after the Kenta versus Juice match conf- confront the winner? Instead of a match between Moxley and the winner of Kenta vs. Juice. I think it's highly unlikely. I don't think he's there. I think it's a possibility. So I don't want to totally rule it out, especially with the fact he hasn't been on TV. But, I mean, coronavirus, his wife's pregnant. You know, he just went on a really long run. He's been complaining about his body. I mean, it's definitely possible. I know he would like to work in Japan and be there, but I I, I don't even know if it's feasible. And um, I don't know if it really makes a lot of sense unless he's going to work the show because right. it's like why would you why would he take all this time to go out there if he's not going to work just for an angle right just for an angle yeah exactly yeah. it has to be like Danny they mentioned the match night two or he's staying in Japan long maybe they do the match at New Year's Dash or something uh, but yeah if he's in Japan it's, it's got to be for more than just an angle well, that's going to wrap it up for questions. Real quick, uh, recommended match of the week. Last week, Karen recommended to us the Super J Cup 2016 finals between Kushida and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, thoughts on this matchup? Um, I didn't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy week, man. Um, but I know you watched it. Yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty good matchup here. It's probably one of the best Yoshinobu Kanemaru matches I've seen. Uh, you know, it was four years ago. He was a lot younger. He was the current uh, GHC Junior Heavyweight Champion. Came out with Despi and uh, Takamichi Noku. Uh, great back and forth match here. Uh, we had we had run ins from from Taichi, and pretty much they were throwing everything at Kushida. Uh, Kushida had his neck taped up, so I'm assuming he got injured either before this tournament or during this tournament. Uh, and so working over that that injured body part and. Yeah, pretty much just because you having to overcome the, the cheating act antics, Suzuki and running in. Um, he, did, he was accompanied with Liger and Taguchi, and they did try to fight off um, 
Despy and uh, Taka, but that left the door open for Taichi to come in, hit Black Mephisto, which got a near fall for Kanemaru. Uh, but eventually, Kushida came back, fought from underneath, got the hoverboard locked in, and tapped out Kanemaru and got the, the gold jacket. I think it was a kimono that year. A gold kimono, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I think we should get each other kimonos. <laughs> Kiss kimonos. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I'd rock the shit out of that So yeah, so that was uh, the recommended match from last week This week, like you heard at the beginning part of the show The recommended match is, for this week is Okada First Tanahashi from Invasion Attack 2013 Yeah, I, I love that match I can't wait to watch it again Oh, and that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode Next week, we'll be back to preview Wrestle Kingdom 15 With our buddy Chris Samsa from Voices of Wrestling com. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. I am at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. In the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group, we are Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Square Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pullback Guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Discord server, Social Suplex. Check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio with Rich Ladd and James Boyd. The Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland, which we will be on this week in uh, part two of their December madness. We're really bad. You know, we show up, we pop up on other people's podcasts all the time, and we, I always like forget to promote it on our show, which defeats the purpose. Like, I feel so <laughs> stupid. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, Grave Consequences with Caleb Maserati, the 8 bit suplex with Josh number two and Sandy, and all things elite with Floyd and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week. On keeping a strong style, the ace of podcasts, Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. <laughs>